Hello. Hello. <laughs> I am moving my microphone around a lot. I'm sorry about that. Hello, everybody. Good evening. It's not evening. It's 1.16. But it's basically evening. It's evening now that Daylight Savings Time has abandoned us. Bro, Daylight Savings Time has completely, like, fucked over my concept of, like, time. Because I'll be like, oh, I'm so ready to go to bed. And it's 5 o'clock, and it's, like, pitch black outside. And I'm like, I have to be awake bare minimum for another five hours. Because I've only been awake for, like, three. (laughs) Yeah, like, it is genuinely alarming sometimes. I don't like it very much at all, actually. Neither do I. Anyway, um, so I I have a pre-prepared rant to go on, but first, do you have any anything you want to say? Hello to everyone out there. We are now currently aware that you exist. Um, now that we have gotten three episodes out and have actually recorded since before the podcast was posted. Hello. Hello, everybody. You lot terrify me. We're going to really offend some British people, which is hilarious to me. But <laughs> we're really going to offend some British people if we keep going on the track that we're currently going on. I mean, it makes sense considering what we're both covering today. <laughs> An informal apology to all of the UK, not UK, just British. What is that country? England. <laughs> <laughs> Got there eventually. That's all that matters. All of the people in England, formal apology. Um, We are, we've come for you. It is now your time. (laughs) You thought you could get away. Anyway, podcast talking points. We already talked about, did we talk about Michael X. Jason versus Freddy? I think we're past that at that point. I don't know. I think, no, because we were going to um, re-record um oh yeah yeah we were going to re-record episode three and, and we decided not to oh okay so no one knows about our freddie x michael versus or freddie x jason versus michael situation which i don't even know how oh it was because of that one tiktok <laughs> it was because of that one tiktok yeah <laughs> we're like was it jason it was like standing outside this guy's household and yeah. then like looking threatening and then he turns around and mike myers michael myers is right behind him he like jump scares and then michael just points and just walks away <laughs> Like, all dejected and shit, yeah. <laughs> it was great. I love that. Uh, yeah, because we were, like, going off about, like, why people were, like, shipping Freddie and Jason on, like, TikTok and shit. And it was, like, oh, you know, Friday the 13th, Freddie versus Jason. It's like, no. There's a Friday the 13th in October. So, and that's Michael Myers' time. Michael X... Jason versus Freddy. Now, here's the thing, and this is this is totally not part of the episode, like um, the important parts. But <laughs> I do not like. I actually despise Freddy, not Fazbear, but the 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 demon one. You know what I mean? Are you okay over there? I'm trying to figure out how to hold this. Give me a second. <laughs> Look at me. Oh, oh, what was that? You heard that, right? That like buzzing. When you turn on an old TV. Yeah. It's giving Stray Kids vibes. (laughs) 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 
Oh no. I killed Mythos. What's I it like dating here. the fighting? What's it like dating the funniest person alive? Oh my god, I was about to ask you that. Um, it's so. Here's the thing. I'm not here to start any kind of like fights or anything. I am, but I am a Stray Kids fan. Um, I I am a Stay. I've been to their shows before. So has Psychos. Um, I absolutely love Stray Kids. I love them. And they just released a new uh, album, which it's not a mini album, but it's the size of a mini album. It's only like five or six songs, I think. And look, when we were, so I, we were in the car, I was taking Psychos to work and it was the day that the album had dropped and I did not pre-order every single album. Um, but if we have time today, we should totally go to Target and see if they have any. Um, but I, for S class. <laughs> I bought every S class. I bought every single version except for the mini ones and like the cardboard, whatever ones. And then we have all of Maxident, and then we have two of Ordinary, and then I have one No Easy album. So <laughs> I didn't order all of um, this new Rockstar comeback, even though it was in my Target cart to order just in case, but I didn't. Um, but anyway, we were listening to the songs and. Anyone who knows K-pop knows that idols cannot curse, like, at all. It's, like, very, very, like, taboo. And then in S-Class, they kind of, like, dropped a song where it kind of sounds like Han curses. And he's like, oh, no, JYP, it's it's this word. I didn't I didn't curse. It's our dishes are so busting, not this shit. And <laughs> everyone was like, that. oh, my God, Han, like, I love you for this. And then... This new album drops, and it's a song that they didn't tease at all. Or it's a section of the song that they didn't tease at all. I don't know what it was. Um, oh, it was um, Complex. Yes. And Felix fully says a curse word. He fully and says in, shit. And, but in, in the lyrics, it's uh, that one word is in Korean. Uh, it's written like English to Korean kind of like sounds. I don't know if you know what the word shit, in though. And then on the translation, on the English translation lyrics, it says shush. S-H-O-O-S. It says shush. I don't give a shush. You don't give a shush? Felix gives no shush. I'm 90% certain that's what it says. And we were in the car. We were at a red light, first of all. We're at a a red light, and we're sitting there, and that plays. And I immediately paused it, and me and Psychos just looked at each other like, did we just hear that right? Cause I, it blew, I, I was bamboozled, I was flabbergasted. <laughs> no, cause like, I'm sorry, I'm laughing at this. Cause like my jaw dropped, and then you immediately paused it, and we just like stared at each other for like a good second. And to be fair, everyone on TikTok has lost their goddamn mind over the fact that Felix cursed. And I also lost my goddamn mind about the fact that Felix cursed. It it's was... in the pre-chorus, too. Yeah, like, it happened, like, every single time. It was bonkers. Um, anyway, so, in the off chance, um, in my Delulu brain, that um, anyone from Stray Kids is listening to this, uh, that was amazing. And one of your songs that sounds like the pre-chorus... Uh, one of the songs sounds like it has the same section as their pre-chorus for S-Class. It does. I don't remember which song it was, but well, I... Also, the beginning of um, the beginning of S-Class 
has the venom thing in it. So I think he just he just does that, which actually might be on purpose. Like the title track of well, Venom wasn't the title track though. No, it wasn't. But it was a very good, very very good. Venom was great. Anyway, um, I have more rants scheduled. So here's the thing: I don't like breakfast. Oh God. <laughs> I thought we were just gonna do the one and then like save the rants for later. <laughs> like for no, no, like no, no, other no, 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 because here's the thing here's the thing is is it I originally when we were gonna re record the part of last episode and we decided not to. When we were gonna re record it, I had a whole rant planned for that one day that we <gasps> oh, yeah, remember. Yeah, yeah. Where we went to work. Oh, my God. And then it happened again this last week. Remember? (laughs) Oh, whenever I was at the meeting. Yeah. So now I have really strong words for McDonald's. Okay. So here's what happened. I hate breakfast. Anyone who knows me knows. Shut up. (laughs) I got a notification on my phone. (laughs) Another one of your hoes? (laughs) No. A yeah, hoe from one of a my different area code. Gigantic Discord that I'm in. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> here's the thing. Anyone who knows me knows that I don't like breakfast food. And I'm trying to get out of this. The thing is, is I do like breakfast foods, but I don't like like breakfast <laughs> because we wake up at like 11 anyway. I have very strong opinions about breakfast and I have even stronger opinions about breakfast places, but that's going to, that's the, we've, we've already said too much. So here's the thing. So the only place that I really, really get jazzed about breakfast for is McDonald's breakfast. I know it's shit, okay? I know it's like processed garbage or whatever, but you don't understand, okay? It's just, it's good. It's If I'm going to eat breakfast, it's got to be like shit, right? Picture this. Me and Zykos are going to work and it is rainy and cold as fuck that day. We have to go to work super, super early in the morning. Which to us is like 10 o'clock. Gross. But keep in mind that we get home from work at like 2 o'clock in the morning sometimes. So we work kind of late. So we have to get up super early and head in and whatever. And I realize it's before 10.30, right? And McDonald's on the app will not let you order breakfast after 10.30, but you can order it up to 10.30. So it's like, okay, cool, whatever. So we're driving to work and... If we order by the time that we leave work or leave like our house, then by the time that we get to work, it'll like be delivered. So it's like perfect timing. So I had Psychos put all of the food in the cart to order. And this is before this is before 1030, by the way. Put all the th- stuff into order. And then we go to check out and it's like, mm, no, like there's something wrong with your payment method. And I'm like um the fuck there isn't i have enough money give me my food so then psychos tries to put the order through again and it's still rejecting it right and then we try to put the order in again and it freaking is like oh we you, these items aren't available right now and it's still before 10 30 which like why would you have the cutoff be 10 30 if you're not gonna let us put food in at 10 26 or whatever like shut the fuck up so i'm like okay cool fine whatever so we get to work. I'm like, okay, you know what? I couldn't order breakfast from there, but Psychos really wants breakfast, and I'm not going to tell Psychos no because I'm a pushover. And 
Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You still want a breakfast too. Don't put this on me. No, 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 no. I remember I don't like breakfast. So <laughs> no, you still wanted breakfast though. So I order breakfast from this little place like down the street from us, right? And you ordered like pumpkin waffles no pumpkin pancakes these big these things were like the size of Psychos's head these things were huge there was three pumpkin of pie pancakes it had like little pecans on them it was so good <laughs> so Psychos orders that and a hot chocolate and i ordered belt okay Psychos is gonna bully me for how i eat this but we'll get into that in a second Psychos order or er, i order um belgian waffle with strawberry and cream and hash browns no 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 no. keep your mouth shut yeah i see you over there mm. so we ordered that and i ordered i don't know if i ordered anything else i ordered some i ordered a bunch of stuff right yeah you ordered like actually you you ordered what? like hash i'm gonna brown. pull it up on my goddamn phone because I'm so mad about this. And keep in mind, this is already on the day where we, like, tried to order breakfast. And it just, like, on McDonald's. And McDonald's was like, go fuck yourself. I'm going to pull up this order because I'm so mad about it. Here it is. Oh, gosh. I ordered scrambled eggs and hash browns. That's what I ordered. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because I remembered it being, like, a protein or something similar. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. just couldn't remember what it was. So, I ordered this, right? And it's not cheap. Like, this is, like, $50 for all of this, um, plus a $5 tip. So, like, I'm spending $55 on this fucking breakfast, right? And this isn't, like, shitty breakfast. This is, like, gourmet. Like, this waffle is huge, right? We get the food. First of all, they're out of hot chocolate, which I don't know how the fuck you're out of hot chocolate. I was very sad by that. Like, I I was so upset. I was so ready to drink this, like, warm elixir of goodness. And it's like, "Mm." And you got water. I got water instead. So, you got your pumpkin pancakes and your two thick bacon slices. You got that. I got my Belgian waffle with my strawberries and cream. I did not get my scrambled eggs or my hash browns. And they were out of hot chocolate, which I don't fucking understand. And I don't know what is going on with places recently. But also, I've ordered Panda Express to work um, in the last week twice. Both times, they did not bring me my drink. And here's the thing. I'm not the kind of person to complain about shit like this. I'm very understanding about stuff like this. It's not the driver's fault. I just don't fucking understand why you forgot my drink twice. And then Psychos is at a meeting with our manager um, uh, at a different location this week. Keep in mind, I'm sitting on the floor while Psychos is meeting with like to our like owner or whatever. And I'm sitting on the floor with our, our general manager. Or, or like district kind of a district manager like manager of all of the locations um and we're like talking and i'm like oh my god like it's before like 10 30 i could totally fucking order mcdonald's breakfast right and then we can order it for pickup at the mcdonald's that's closer to our house so i go to fucking order it and i have i have the money and we're trying to figure out what the fuck psychos wants and we're trying to like read psychos's mind and my manager was wrong by the way we figure out what psychos wants and we go to put the order in and it's like mm, half the items that you picked are not available during this time of day. And the only thing that it let me try to order was the fucking hash browns that I redeemed points for because I have too many points on the McDonald's app. But it was like, oh, the the big breakfast or whatever and whatever the fuck you wanted. It's not available. But it's like it was like 1020. I don't. <sighs> so I this last month, I've just been cursed 
um, with breakfast food. And I already don't like breakfast foods. I just, so anyway, that's my rant. I'm really mad about it. R.I.P.P., man. I love you, though. Well, your food was fine the whole goddamn time. Hey, I didn't get my McDonald's breakfast either. Don't even. Yeah, but you got your freaking pancakes and your bacon strips, so. But you didn't get your hot chocolate, so. I didn't nah. get my hot chocolate. Which, aren't you lactose intolerant? Uh, yeah, but. You also forgot to rant about how I eat my strawberries and cream oh, on my Belgian waffles. Fuck you. I hated it. Okay. So, most normal people put. It was a treat, okay? It was a treat. It was a little treat. I'm a little guy. Uh, I wanted to... Let me finish. (laughs) Go ahead. (laughs) Go ahead. So, no. Most people put their, like, strawberries and cream on the Belgian waffle to eat, right? No. No, that's not... Right? No. So, here's what Mythos does. They take a spoon. (laughs) They stir up the strawberries and cream. And then they eat it. And then they eat the, they eat it's it like a by itself. Treat. No, you're supposed to eat it on the waffle. But why would I do that? Because that's what's supposed to happen. No, it's a little treat on the side. That's like putting milk first in cereal. No, that's just inherently wrong. <laughs> that's different, okay? <laughs> that's like me eating the milk and the cereal separate, which is just a snack. <laughs> I don't oh eat dry God. cereal, by the way. This is... God, we have been recording for, like, over 20 minutes. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, and we still haven't, like, mentioned at all what our topic today is. I or... am so excited and nervous for my topic, so I'm going to piss off a lot of people. I am going to make all of y'all depressed. Yay! But that's pretty much par for the course at this point. Welcome to... Ep- Ooh, oh, my God, that was loud. Welcome to episode... Four. 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 Everybody. We can only count to four. I can only count to four. Can, that's a great song, by the way, if no one's ever heard that song. <laughs> um, What are we talking about today? First of all, okay. Preemptive warning. I am going to piss some people off with this story. And if I have pissed you off, I don't care and I'm not sorry. Because if you're pissed off, then you're pretentious. I mean, yeah, that's fair. My, we are, oh gosh. Today we are talking about goth culture. And what am I talking about goth culture? And then one of my case, in my case, is very well known within the goth community. Which is weird because isn't it like, it's like the, it's not goth though. She technically was more. Punk. punk yeah and more like more along that in- end of things mm-hmm. but it's one of those things where the community like of alternative subcultures really kind of like, kind of like all adopted it like all rose up so yeah. i this is kind of a chaotic um assortment of information because it is really hard to like pin down this stuff um I do have a list of references uh, and links to a lot of videos, and I actually ended up finding another thesis. That was you made. and your thesis. I didn't. I just I found it. I don't know how, um, but I did find another thesis um, about this, and I'm gonna get the name right this time because I really fudged it up on the first one. So, 
this is written. It's called The Evolution. I'm just going to go ahead and credit it now at the top of the episode, so don't worry about it later. But it's called The Evolution of the Perceptions of the Gossip Culture, and it is by Sabrina Newman. It was a thesis. Uh, oh my god, it was a thesis submitted to the Honors Department of Johnson and Wales University School of Engineering and Design in May of 2018. So, to Sabrina Newman, um, I did read this entire thing through. I did sneak some information, but it is very interesting. I think she is also um, a goth herself, so that is super cool. Um, I did not. Uh, I, I went a little bit of a different direction with this, but it's a very good read. It'll be linked on the notes, which we will post on Patreon whenever we decide to get anything else up on Patreon. So that is there, but I'm letting you guys know now that that is a thesis that I found that was very interesting, and I'm always willing to support. The Patreon is technically up and running. There's just no tiers, and everything is free. Fair enough. Um. Also, are we just going to go ahead and jump into mine now that we're here? I think that we probably should go ahead and jump into yours because yours provides like some history and like more history, 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 <laughs> history. Okay, so history. I, I, I will let you know. I do have a little bit of a dark section in the middle here. Um, I'm not going to get too in depth because I think it might be something that you want to cover in the future. But immediately after it, I have funny YouTube comments. So the funny YouTube comic. Chin is back and I'm so hype. Okay, so I am going to be talking today to everyone about the subculture of goth. So um, this was something that I did actually just rip directly from her thesis and I'm sorry about that. What is a subculture? A subculture is a segment of a culture which shows different customs, norms, and values compared to the like overall culture it came from um, with some similarities. So I wanted to start this deep dive by going into the, because I want to go into the music aspects of it first, because goth is a music-based subculture. Matcha ASMR. What is up with you and doing some sort of ASMR in every It's my true episode. calling. <laughs> you wanted to be an ASMR artist, and you're like, eh. It's me too. I'm sad okay. that I can't be, because I have such a booming voice. I want to start this off by saying that, technically speaking, I don't consider myself a goth, but I am a goth, which is, I think, par for the course, it seems like, with all other goths. Um, But I am, technically speaking, a goth. Now, I listen to, like, a fucking slew of music. I literally just went on a rant about Stray Kids, so would I consider myself, like, a down to the bone everything is black goth no would i fuck the singer from typo negative yes <laughs> so uh, yeah it's a it's a problem <laughs> am i obsessed <laughs> with eric draven from the crow do i currently have two figures of him yes do i like the cure no <laughs> i do and that's you on like me um so. no like i do kind of like I also realized while doing this research that I I grew up goth slash goth adjacent to a lot of things. So a lot of the things that they mentioned, a lot of bands that are mentioned, either I was exposed to when I was younger or I did just listen to these bands and songs. And it was really weird because actually while we were I was doing the research for this, um, I, there was a, there's a song that I absolutely love and I'll get into in a second. There's a song that I really, really like um, and I like most versions of it. You were the one who pointed out that that song is actually technically goth. And I was like... <gasps> 
what do you mean? And I just went down a rabbit hole. So, yeah, um, I personally didn't really grow up goth. Like I wasn't growing up goth and emo and like that sort of thing. Like those comments were sort of banned from my household. They didn't. My parents refused to like. You grew up in like a religious cult of a household. Yeah, kind Mm -hmm. of. Whereas, uh, like, I grew up kind of like punk and metal head adjacent. Um, because I grew up in the, uh, I was born in the late nineties, grew up into the early two thousands, you know, all that shit. So, I was too young for like the first and second gen wave of goth, but I grew up, uh, like technically punk adjacent um because punk still kind of stayed and like metalhead adjacent Mm -hmm. so it's they're not the same but they do kind of have influences on each other to some points where even some people kind of link metalheads in with goth just a little bit but since goth was born out of punk i technically grew up like goth so like a lot of songs that are considered like goth or by goth bands like i do know and have listened to i just you know i don't i wouldn't consider myself a goth but we'll we'll get into it I am trying to wedge myself into that romantic vampire goth. You're doing great. I've got you a few dresses that I think look great. Yeah, the dresses, like I do have I also a few. have that one tea dress that I never wear, but I love it. Yeah. I'm slowly working on being the person I wanted to be. Oh, religious trauma. Mm, it's so nice. It lends itself very well <laughs> to any aesthetic. It does. It really does. We'll also get into that. Oh, you. Oh, no. Okay, so. Oh, no. Goth is originally considered to be a music based subculture. It typically is considered to have popped up sometime in the late 70s, early 80s. Um, But I actually went into a deep dive by, um, I think it was Trash Rant. It did an excellent video on this. So a lot of this information has been pulled from there. And I just kind of filled in where I could. So, again, big shout out to that video. But the first kind of spark, the twinkle of goth in Punk's eye, actually dates a lot farther back to 1955 with the release of the song I Put a Spell on You by Screamin' Jay Hawkins. Yeah. This is and one this of my song, songs. I love this song. And I have this specific version, like the original version of the song. I love it. I I like some of the covers. I don't like the one from, I don't like Hocus Pocus. I'm sorry for anyone who was hoping that I would. And I don't like the version of the song that's in there. Like, it's a great song, but like, ew, you know, as a cover. Okay. You like Hocus Pocus. I do. I really do. Although it is a little weird that we're all just ragging on a teenage boy for being a virgin for an hour and a half. I'm... Yeah, I mean, I do that. (laughs) Not to a teenage (laughs) boy, but we have a friend that um, has a boyfriend, and they're very cute together, um, but I constantly call him a virgin. I think it's funny. To be fair, so does his mother. So (laughs) anyway, um, I Put a Spell on You by Screaming Jay Hawkins. Um, It was a ballad that was originally inspired by Pledging My Love by Johnny Ace, which I also recently saved and do love that song. And it's your kind of typical 50s, like, sweet, like, R&B love song. Um, Just, like, pretty typical for the times. Uh, Pretty typical for the times. Yeah, no, I just wrote something in my notes. I'm like, what the fuck does that mean? 
What does um, this mean to you? <laughs> what the fuck was I on? Pledging My Love was a blues love song. Now, for Screaming Jay Hawkins, he had originally wanted to create a song that sounded like the literal version of putting a spell on someone. The kind of possessive music version of a spell um, to make someone fall in love. As opposed to the, oh, I'm giving you my love. You've entranced me. It's, it's kind of a reversal of that power a little bit. You know, like, I love you, so you have to love me. I'm going to make you love me. And Basically. it's very nice. I I love it. It's a very good song. Um, So they had originally recorded the song in 1955. Stop eating your microphone. But uh, Screamer J. Hawkins and their manager had decided that they felt like the song was a little too stiff. So they re-recorded it again in 1956 after getting blackout drunk. Which, mood. The best way to do anything. Literally. So they recorded the band, they recorded the song, and I think I remember seeing somewhere that Screaming Jay Hawkins actually has no recollection of recording the song ever. And he, in the song, and I don't know if he got this name before or after the song was released, but in the song, you can hear him screaming and sounding like he is being overcome and possessed by something. And that was kind of what gave the song its edge um the lyrics were taken a lot more seriously compared to the pledging my love version and because of the way it sounded it was actually banned from the radio at the time which honestly you guys all suck for getting that song banned you guys suck for getting that song banned which is ironic because now it's typically on like the top 100 halloween music playlists uh cds that you can get at like freaking walmart or something like for i remember like listening five to that bucks. song yeah. yeah it's a great song yeah. It is a very good song. People in the 50s were wild. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah. Um, this song is one of the first instances of dark themes being brought into main pop music. Um, I'm sure there was like darker music that was going on at the time, but this was the first time that I think a pop song had actually been more serious. Stephen J. Hawkins brought a very theatrical twist to this song. And when he was actually doing the stage performances, he would add in a lot of theatrics. There would be smoke machines. He would rise out of a coffin. He would have um, something akin to, like, the stereotypical witch doctor costume kind of stuff that you find at, like, Spirit Halloween. Like, he would have a top hat and bones and stuff like that. It was very theatrical and dark. Thinking of um, Dr. Vasilier from... Uh, Princess and the Frog? Yes. It Ooh. was It was very reminiscent of that, the same kind of color palette, stuff like that. Um, it was very intense. And this wasn't something that was very common at the time. So... This is usually credited with being where the theatrical side of goth music comes from, especially the um, like stage performance aspects of it. So this is where we're kind of seeing the first glint of like what goth would become back in 1955, which is crazy. Dear God. Also, if you're one of those, I've heard, I've heard this opinion a lot that if you're someone who does not acknowledge Screaming Jay Hawkins' inform- like um, influence on goth culture, you're racist. <laughs> Which I won't agree with, but I I will say that it is important to mention that, like, as most subgenres have come out and have, like, most genres of music in general, they tend to go back to some form of the Black community and Black music. So it was originally blues, which I think also wasn't rock originally blues as well. Rock, I think rock was originally blues as well. Like, almost all, like, almost every type of music we have today and I think even classical music, to a point, has connections to the black community. 
Which fun fact, did you know that the um, strings on old string instruments used to be made of animal intestines? Unfortunately. Anyway. And <laughs> I live every day in regret that I know that. I didn't put I didn't put a year for this. Hang on. Ooh. When did this song come out? Jumping forward uh, to 1967, we have the release of the song The End by The Doors. This song is 11 minutes and 43 goddamn seconds long. I... No. I'm sorry. <laughs> I... If a song is longer than, like, seven or eight minutes, I have a very hard time sticking with it. And Sleep Token, I love you, but some of your songs are getting up there, and I'm like, guys, <laughs> guys, please. Um, I did not do a lot of research into this song. It's just not my vibe. Um, but I will just read what I have here. So the lyrics were dark and poetic, and apparently Ed Sullivan, who I'm not sure if he was the singer or just a member of the group, um, he had raw sex appeal. <laughs> uh gross the song was about a breakup with a girlfriend and the lyrics were focused mostly on death and dying um i also really like this quote that they brought in from uh jim morrison says sometimes the pain is too much to examine or even tolerate that doesn't make it evil though or necessarily dangerous but people fear death even more than pain it's strange that they fear death life hurts a lot more than death at the point of death the pain is over yeah i guess it is a friend which is an interesting way to look at it. But, I mean, okay. He I must have really fair. been upset about that girlfriend. What did this man go through? This what did she do to him? Uh, <laughs> so, in my notes, it says that this is the first group to be dubbed goth. Uh, I'm not going to agree with that. I think maybe in later years, this is kind of where that inspiration comes from. But the influence that we see from this specific song is the really really dark lyrics it's also a song that had organs jazz drums and kind of wispy eastern sounding guitars when i say eastern the stereotypical idea of like a sitar or something like that that kind of sound it kind of introduced that which you'll see kind of influences of like eastern uh culture in a lot of these uh songs musically and also i'm talking about this as someone who is not majoring in or has any deep knowledge of music so trying to make this easy for people who aren't musically literate to understand so next we go uh we're still in 1967 this is when venus and furs by the velvet underground comes out these lyrics were also much darker than normal lyrics at the time talking about bdsm and such this might be one of the first instances of bdsm being linked to the goth community as well which is hilarious because Rihanna um, released a hit song S and M like years later, and it like got broadcasted all over the radio. <laughs> and young me had no business listening to that. And I bet this song also got like stricken from radio. Well, at the time, I don't know if any of these bands were considered to be very mainstream enough to enter the radio scene. I think just Screamin' Jay Hawkins was. A little bit more popular at the time. Oh, okay. So, and we've listened I to see. these songs before. We listened to the Velvet Underground together because I wanted you to listen to some of it. So, yeah, and I actually kind like I really did like the song. I liked the Velvet Underground. You and I both hated the next point that I have, but I gotta get through the Velvet Underground yeah. first. Sorry, I'm all snotty. So, um, I don't know if it was just this album or just the Velvet Underground in general. They used what was called ostrich guitar tuning. 
which is where they would tune the guitar strings to all be the same note. So the music that would come out of it would sound very droning and kind of, I don't want to say monotone, but just very like, like the guitar is drugged. (laughs) That's a very interesting way of putting that. I don't know how to explain it. This kind of droning sound becomes a huge staple in goth music later on. The main feature of the band was a woman named Nico, whose voice was described as sounding like a cello getting up in the morning. She does have kind of a lower register voice, and she does also have that droning sound that people really liked from the guitars. It fit really well. And then a year after this album was released, uh, Nico left the band. So... Jumping to 1968, we have the Marble Index, which was released by Nico from the Velvet Underground. Uh, From what I heard, she'd actually left the band, moved across the country, I think out to California, and just like basically reinvented herself. Her debut solo, Chelsea Girl, was written by other songwriters. After that, she stepped back and wrote her own original album that was more true to herself, and this is the one that we listened to together. She used it to step away from the kind of stereotypical blonde and beautiful look that she had because uh, she was a German girl, she was very sweet, very petite looking, big eyes, blonde hair, kind of that like stereotypical like blonde look she ended up coloring her hair blood red and started wearing all black um and she's kind of dubbed as the first modern goth girl because of the way that she looked and it wasn't necessarily that she was trying to go for a goth look because it wasn't really a thing at the time she was just trying to do the exact opposite of what she was used to i think most of the photos of her actually have her in white and then when she released the marble index she's pretty much completely in black similar to what like child stars do whenever they like Think like Start. Dove Cameron. Yeah. Like Dove Cameron did it. I know Miley Cyrus went uh full like sexual, but it was like most of these child stars. I think stars, she was trying to cope. Yeah, a lot of these child stars do stuff like this, like Amanda Bynes did, um, where they go from the extremely cute and innocent look that Disney and other companies have them do to something like the direct opposite so she could have been just doing the same thing where she was just trying to shed whatever image she had and it's just it worked out for her in some ways i think it didn't it's, work yeah, out for I her in others trying to go one being one direction then trying to go really aggressively the under the direction um i think they're just they're not raising that area to know that there's a middle ground the songs from the marble index are very haunting almost insane sounding um and we listened to this together and that is pretty accurate it's not my cup it's not my cup of tea but it is uh it's very weird it sounds like an acid trip yeah for people who are listening who know what the magnus archives is the best way i can describe her music is like if the spiral made music it it really is just it's weird it's like if you threw a bunch of instruments into a tornado and then put a microphone in the middle (laughs) Um, accurate a it has fits of random piano out of tune sounding instruments odd percussion and speak singing vocals again just really crazy apparently the producer said it made him feel suicidal but it was beautiful it didn't follow the normal song structure structure of any rock or pop music um it was very unique i'm gonna say it just wasn't great that's me personally. I just didn't like it. It does not that it doesn't follow any normal structure. It just doesn't have a structure. It's like every 10 seconds was recorded months apart and no one listened back to what the first 10 seconds before sounded like. Yeah, like it felt very all over the place. It like I'm sure like if you're in a certain mood this album would be great for you to listen to, but like on drugs. 
Oh gosh, imagine this being on a trip and listening to that. That's gonna mm, that might end up being a bad trip. But like it's I think it's very good for like inspiration. Like if you're trying to get into a certain mood for like a certain character or something, like if you were writing, like that would be great to listen to to like get certain scenes done. But like it is a very specific mood you have to be in to intake to like take in her music. Agreed. Um, so jumping to 1971, so we're going from 1968 to 1971, we have the release of Dead Babies by Alice Cooper. I know it's kind of a weird jump to go from seemingly like indie sounding punk bands, um, to uh, like Alice Cooper, but I promise there's a point. So we've hit the seventies and a lot of rock albums in the seventies hit with the theatrics. A lot of rock bands at the time were very theatrical, like seventies hair bands kind of. But they all had these, like, weird ambiance. And when I say ambiance, I mean, like, when you look up, like, Halloween ambiance music. And it's, like, bells and crows and, amb- like, that kind of stuff. Like, the spooky sounds. It's kind of like that. Um, but Alice Cooper kind of took all of it and melted it together. He used dramatic makeup. He he did, like, stage performance type acts. And he had a lot of classic goth fashion when on stage. It's not considered goth at the time. But looking back, it is kind of classic goth. The lyrics are very dark and almost sick in nature. Um, they were very blatant about a lot of dark themes, um, which can be very nauseating for certain people, depending on what you're triggered by. Uh, during the song Dead Babies, uh, he literally cut up baby dolls on stage and ended the song with hanging himself, not literally, but theatrically, um, just to kind of prove a point, but also to be that shock factor on stage you know that wasn't really common at the time um i remember you telling me about the bit about like the cut up like cutting up the baby dolls on stage but not about the part where he like can't tell you everything Bake hung himself like i'm sorry what we're almost there i promise so 1973 to 1977 we have the glam rock era There's a wide assumption that a goth evolved from punk, but this video by Trash Theory argues that it arrived from glam rock. And you do actually see glam goth is specifically derived from glam rock kind of aesthetic. Aesthetically, the clothing, music, and the loose sex culture was uh, would later influence goth. So the fashion, flashy look of it, and also just the aggressively, I'm going to have sex with everything, beat me up while I do it kind of thing kind of trickles over later into goth a lot of the british goth bands which goth did kind of come out of england which is really interesting um they were inspired a lot by glam rock the music features abstract instrumental sections dark thematical lyrics and monotone and droning vocals we had those droning vocals back again and the music David Bowie um was very experimental when it came to ambiance and he had a lot of electric sounding music a lot of synths and stuff like that. And uh, Robert Smith from The Cure um, actually said that he was directly influenced by the album Low. No no, no information there? I finally mentioned Robert uh. Smith and you're not <laughs> screaming and crying. Hey, you make me sound like I am like this diehard Cure <laughs> fan. I'm not. I enjoy The Cure. It was... We have a friend who really likes The Cure. We have a friend who would literally... Yeah, um, <laughs> making fun of him, and he's not here to defend himself. He doesn't need to be here to defend. He he, he couldn't defend himself if he was in the room with us. <laughs> it's the defense in the room with us. 
Anyway, no. So for me, The Cure was kind of my first. Not well. No, I lied. Uh, technically, Evanescence was my intro to that darker music, which is wild because my dad really liked it. And if you especially know like a lot of shit about my parents, it's very surprising. Fuck your dad. Anyway, <laughs> um, so The Cure was kind of like that second, like, oh, I kind of like how this sounds. Let me dive further into it. Yeah, I got you. Okay, so 1977, um, we have Suicide Frankie Teardrop. I'm assuming it's either the band is called Suicide and the song is called Frankie Teardrop, knowing by how I wrote everything, but it feels like it should be swapped. So the band Suicide was formed in 1969, and it was one of the first self-proclaimed punk bands. So we're seeing the rise of punk, which I feel like it should have been way sooner. It used a lot of synths and whatever a drum machine is, because I still don't fucking know. I'm assuming it's a computer program. Um, It gets used a lot later. Because um, they didn't use guitars or drums. They used whatever the fuck a drum machine is. So there's that. The most upsetting and gothic song they had was the song Frankie Teardrop. It's the story of a young father who was basically a family annihilator. You're welcome. Killing his family over his severe poverty. The song is considered actually terrifying, having screeches mixed into the song. And for the time, I imagine that was pretty jarring. Now it's pretty normal. But I mean, it's whatever. Apparently, it shocked the singer who did it. He was even surprised he could make those sounds. Um, there's also a lot of reverb in the song. Uh, reverb. Oh, my God. That's such a hard word to say, um, which is pretty common in goth music. So you've got the droning. You've got the reverb. You've got the theatrics. We're starting to see. And you've got the glam aesthetic. So you're kind of see how all these different things are going to accumulate into, you know. Yeah. And I think it's very interesting that the song about the family annihilator actually uses one of the main reasons for family annihilation. It's the poverty. Like, for instance, John List, um, who is, like, one of the first major family annihilators actually killed his family because they were deep in debt. So it was one of those things. Yeah. And this is a consistent thing that you're going to find in a lot of goth songs. And, um, like, well, I mean, this was punk. So a lot of punk really talks about, like, inequality and issues with the government um which i will always support um true punks in that next we have 1978 with our favorite song human fly by the cramps remember this song yeah this is your favorite song this is not mine i don't like this song nobody likes this song (laughs) i don't like this song my first my first bullet point under the cramps human fly is why is he eating the microphone (laughs) Because every single video they post of the cramps, if you go back and watch the video, every single goddamn clip of the cramps is just the singer literally eating the fucking microphone. I mean, I it was okay up to the point where he started buzzing. And that's when I was like, guys, guys, please. Anyway. Um, that's going to get me. Like, I feel like us giving <laughs> critique on certain things is going to get us. I know. We're going to piss some people off. So the cramps was considered psychobilly, um, which is inspired by rockabilly, which we'll get into later. And it has a lot of those abstract rock sounds, but it's 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 a weird fucking ride. Human Fly um, kind of cemented the musical aesthetic of the cramps. There was a very heavy commitment to the idea of a Halloween style cre- creature being played in a song. Um, he sang it in a way that made him actually sound like a human fly which is wild. 
and there's a heavy link between horror and goth music at this time. And you kind of see this happen later on. Um, the Human Fly was actually a B-rate movie at the time that it was it was just terrible. But um, I mean, not the movie, the song, but um, still can't get over it. So a B-rate song. It's a, it's a something. Um, so I'm sure there are people that love the cramps. It's just not me. I mean, I've already said I don't like the Cure, so. Yeah, but I, I feel, feel like, like the I Cure like and the elitist... cramps are on two different levels here. Yeah, but I feel like elitist goth people don't know if I'm like goth or not because they're always like, "Oh, if you only like the Cure, then you're not goth." And it's like, okay, I like other goth bands, but I don't like the Cure. <laughs> and they're just like, "How can I, you be goth and not like it, the Cure?" <laughs> <laughs> People who get so up in arms about like the purity I've known of people goth, like this. It is I've literally so wild. To I've me. told you this. I know people like this. I've met people. I'm not friends with people anymore, but I've seen people that I know be like, if you only listen to these bands, then or if you listen to these bands, then you're not considered goth. And they throw like they throw like emo bands and they're like MCR and stuff like that. But like the idea that like oh if you only listen to the cure then you're not really goth and it's such it's people who dress trad goth not like i'm not saying this is trad goth but this person that i'm thinking of was like a trad goth but also like a fast fashion trad goth we'll get into it in the fashion area so moving on from the cramps because i don't want to deal with it anymore post-punk 1978 to 1982 uh Punk music, specifically born out of the UK, brought alternative music to the mainstream, which gave goth a stepping stone into the mainstream as well. Also, it gave credibility to loud and angry music, and the fashion of the people who listened to it was also kind of validated. Punk bands began to move towards more experimental sounds, and they were much less politically influenced as far as the lyrics went. Um, And you'll see this with a lot of punk bands that technically moved closer towards goth, though they'll never admit themselves as goth. But they did get kind of record deals and they did actually get like mainstream publicity. So it kind of put goth into the center stage, which will then cause later on like The Cure getting played on MTV in in the U.S. and stuff like that. Susie Sue, the front woman for Susie and the Banshees, which another unpopular opinion. I don't really like Susie and the Banshees. I'm not saying that I hate them. I just don't listen to it. She was inspired by Egyptian-style makeup designs and electroshock black hair, which just means hair that makes it look like you've been struck by lightning, because I didn't know what the fuck that meant either. Um, This is where I kind of have a love-hate relationship with goth, because it does pull a lot from other cultures, and that actually gets changed. It kind of flips um, in the last, like, decade or so, but original goth was kind of heavy on the appropriation of makeup which i don't really know if it came from an area of appropriation or more just appreciation for it and the look of it the very eccentric look compared to what people were probably used to in the uk and the u.s at the time but stealing that kind of makeup look and inspiration from a lot of middle eastern cultures and african cultures was just kind of very common and later on they kind of come in and infringe on paganism as well but who doesn't the band had sounds and instruments that were common in punk and songs that were consistent all the way through and so I feel like it was trying to reach an end is how it describes. So instead of ramping up to something huge at the end, it just kind of stayed more consistent all the way through as far as the vibe and the intensity of the music. Susie Sue would have a really big influence on goth music, but she technically is considered punk and more post-punk than goth because there's kind of an argument of where post-punk goth is considered to be post-punk. They're kind of one and the same. But I feel like there's a little bit of like a couple year age gap where punk bands kind of ended up towards goth, but kind of just stayed in the middle of post-punk. And bands that were trying to go more post-punk just ended up being goth. Anyway. Yeah, I, Susie and the Banshees is very like hit or miss for me. Like there are some songs where like I'll 
like I won't like fully skip them. Like I'll be like, okay, I can vibe to this. And there are other songs where I'm just like, I can't. It and it also depends how I feel that day. I feel like a fake goth by saying that, but like it. I feel like sometimes you're not in a typo negative mood. Sometimes you're in an NCT mood. Like Susie and the Banshees for me, this is gonna sound really odd to say. It sounds pretentious. It sounds like the top 40 version of goth. It does, doesn't it? We'll get into it. We'll get into it. We'll get yeah. into it. Yeah. So, Joy Division, which I had a completely misunderstanding of what Joy Division was. Joy Division also had a heavy influence in goth music. Um, the themes and the sounds are pretty similar overall. And there is a term called proto-goth that was used to describe the more dark-sounding music in the beginning of the post-punk music era. So, proto-goth basically means, like, before i don't know it's hard to explain it makes sense to me it's like the baby version of goth yeah it's like proto-goth so it's like the prototype of goth like it's like this is like this is not quite goth we're getting there this is like the alpha version of goth like where there's still like a ton of bugs in it that you need to work out and we'll get to like the more beta version of goth here soon yeah uh speaking of which we're in 1979 do you know what came out in 1979 uh Bauhaus. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Like, so now I'm... we have finally hit the peak of all of these things accumulating, the dark sounds, the droning music, the themes, the ambiance, the flashiness, the being possessed while you're drunk. This is the epitome of goth. A 9-minute song released by Bauhaus. It was the first song they had released called Bell Lugosi's Dead. This was considered the goth song um, at the time. It's got the droning sounds. It's got the dark vampiric lyrics. It's got reverb. But Bauhaus hated being called goth at the time. I think they might have considered themselves more post-punk. But this accidentally started a tradition where goth bands would refuse to accept being called goth. Which is why I think it's hilarious that I refuse to accept being a goth despite the fact that I am. It's very ironic. It's a very goth thing to do to be like, I'm not goth. I just love it. Yeah, that's accurate. My favorite, though, I do really, really love this song. Like, it is It is a very objectively good. good song. And you can tell that they put a lot of work into it and they mm-hmm. really sat with it for a minute. Because it some some songs on this list really just kind of sound like you just kind of threw shit together and didn't listen to it. But this one, it sounds like they really really tried to make sure that everything melded together in a way that makes sense. There's never any parts where I felt like something felt out of place when I was listening to this. I unfortunately had to listen to the entire thing. But I have listened to All of Stairway to Heaven multiple times for fun, so I can't really complain about a nine-minute song. Yeah, like, I actively listen to Sleep Tokens, like, 10 to 11-minute songs. But, like, this song for me is probably what pushed me to the more put together side of goth because there's a lot of like you said before like there's a lot of goth bands out there now who haven't quite like honed their craft and this song for me Mm -hmm. feels like they've honed it they know what they're doing even if they don't call themselves this thing they are and Mm -hmm. they've got it nailed down to a T. Yeah, it definitely felt very well crafted. I don't have any points on music after this because after Bauhaus kind of released this song, pretty much anything else that kind of fell into this category was goth. So I know that The Cure eventually went towards goth and then they went to pop for some reason and the band like lost all of its members and gained more members and then went back to goth music. Um, 
and all that stuff. And I know that um, I had read somewhere that Robert Smith was scared that by a certain age, if he didn't release like his breakthrough album, it was over. Like that was it. And I think that's the whatever the album is that we have the cassette for. I think that was the album. Yeah, Disintegration. I am slowly working on collecting like old goth um cassette tapes because which uh, i all have i uh, first of all when you say you're working on collecting them you mean you're waiting for me to buy them for you for christmas for christmas and second of all i have to order them from the fucking uk and get them sent over here so first of all also i I did look into getting you a walkman and they're like six hundred dollars so you just get to look at them because they're nice and pretty um yeah let me i wonder if there's like a cheaper one somewhere I can get be. you a cassette walker. I can get can, can get you a cassette player. It's just not going to be a Walkman. Like yeah, the trademark player. Walkman. That's fair. Anyway, so I don't have plays. a lot. I don't have a lot of um like goth bands written down after this, but if anyone is curious what my preferences for goth bands are, you've kind of made me a playlist and I don't know where it falls as far as like goth music. Like, if it's considered new or old or whatever. But the bands that I have in here, first of all, London After Midnight. Absolutely love them. Scary Bitches also love. I'm a hit or miss on Depeche Mode. I do have a Depeche Mode shirt that I only have, like, three songs on here. Birthday That's Massacre. Because- absolutely love Birthday Massacre. Depeche Mode, for me, it's very hit or miss as well because they are so all over the place within their own genre like they have songs that are like yes this is this is goth but then they veer off to pop and then they veer back like way over to rock mm-hmm. and then I occasionally hit the mark again with goth and it's they're just so all over the place it's very difficult to place them in my personal opinion yes so um, just some of the songs on here that I've already liked um, I have one song by Sisters of Mercy so no one come for me um the 69 eyes i've got london after midnight oh i have a second song by sisters of mercy there we go um christian death i have on here vandal moon horror i, I want to say Davinci, and it's just not v-a-c-u-i or that band is typo negative we already know i want to fuck that man uh raised in black with a z um bloody dead and sexy boy harsher um this cold night the damned stuff like that so this is this is kind of the playlist that basically psychos just throws songs on here and i kind of veto them or keep them on here depending on how i feel about them so whatever you want to say my i have queens of the stone age on here which i consider rock but go off i guess whatever you want to say about my musical preferences based off that information do it what you will yeah like i have like other playlists like like personal playlists that have certain songs on here like i have the cure i have um sisters mercy the frozen autumn lebanon hanover the cocteau twins london after midnight uh mephisto waltz everyone loves london after london after midnight it's so good it's so good you Um, don't like scary bitches i love scary bitches i don't mind scary bitches i i I actually love scary bitches okay i like scary bitches but i have to be in a very specific mood for scary bitches if that makes sense lesbian vampires from outer space will forever be the greatest song that's ever been written yeah i have uh, rose garden funeral party which is a blast uh clan of zymox i think is how you pronounce that yeah i have some of them too yeah vandal moon i have male tears i recently um got into male tears and it's so good Ooh, you guys sent me that okay yeah 
Um, the last little bit that I have here before we get into the main concept of goth is goth in America. So goth music started to pop up into America, but it still had a punk feel to it. Um, it was actually considered to be death rock because of how many similarities there were. Are you yawning or disgusted? Okay, there we go. You're yawning. Sorry. Um, yeah, I E-B. Very good. Uh, goth reappeared in the States in the late 90s. Um, I think this might have been due to the fact that there was a really big goth club um that i learned about in new york which makes a lot of sense because some of the people that i follow who are really big into goth were in new york and there's also a club called the bat cave in london which i'm offended that you've never told me existed um that was a huge thing too goth is very club heavy as far as the culture goes it is but it's not like club heavy in the way that most people think of clubbing like it is no goth clubs are very very different and also i saw a couple videos um because i did actually go on youtube and look to people who are goth talking about it but you couldn't just like like you didn't just like google goth club like you had to like know someone who knew someone who knew where it was or you just like find flyers for it like it was very underground as far as like getting there and stuff like that um so goth reappeared in the U.S. in the 90s, and it continued to grow into the late 10s, and now it's kind of evolved into a bunch of other things. But e- just just to put it out there before anyone gets mad at me, emo and goth are not the same thing. Scene is actually born out of emo. Emo was born out of punk. And e-girls and, like, that e-trend was um, born out of scene. So they're, just, they're not the same, like, in any any aspect. So... Just a heads up before anyone gets mad at me. Okay, so we're going into the concept of goth. Goth is a music-based subculture that was born out of the UK in the early 1980s. We've known this. It was centered around music festivals, nightclubs, and organized meetings, mostly in Western Europe. There is an association with a certain aesthetic and fashion. The term comes from the Germanic tribes that invaded the Roman Empire. It was used to describe the architecture that was linked to the goth tribes, the original ones, and the dark style art that came out during the period of enlightenment. Um, so when everyone was doing a push towards science and understanding the universe in a scientific aspect, there was a rebellion movement at the time where you were getting a lot of those paintings that had, you know, skeletons and demons and that kind of dark thematic look to it. Think like uh, that one painting, the Ophelia one or whatever, that kind of stuff. It was the counter rebellion gothic thing that was going on at the same time and that's why that kind of got adopted into into goth we've already done so much into the music that i don't really feel like i need to dip into it again but as far as goths in the u.s go it was very difficult and very expensive to get cds over from the uk um it was very 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 difficult in fact you had to go to multiple stores just to see if you could find one album obviously i'm in the u.s i'm going to be doing a bit more of a u.s look on it but since goth was kind of born out of the uk and it took a while for it to spread over here it was just kind of impossible so um also there's no merch for goth bands which as a k-pop fan is wild like k-pop fans you get an album you get like 50 of them you get a world tour and there's so much shit going on and then everyone who owns a small business who releases k-pop stuff means like 50 million different keychains for it there's customization people who just like alter your light stick like can you imagine having a light stick for the cure it'd be crazy so i can't it's find just a single, like a bat right i can't find a single london after midnight like anything I, what what anyway not the point um also a lot of goth clothes um which we'll get into the fashion in a minute they were actually can uh sold at fetish stores it's that kind of dark 
the the dark lacy kind of look you would mostly find that in fetish stores which is unfortunate if you're a child yeah if you're like under the age of 18 and you're trying to get into this and you're like i just want the clothes man i just want the clothes yeah so um we have a lot of in goth music itself there was also a lot of sampling and programming done with computers that would add very unique sounds and synths into the music um so kind of the modern age helped with that a little bit giving it that i don't want to say retro feel but that definitely like computer (laughs) computer generated sounds but like you can tell you know what i mean so the themes of gothic fashion and aesthetic there was a big punk influence and that's more considered to be the trad goth kind of look um there's also something called new romantic fashion which when i looked into it new romantic was actually considered to be the next wave of goth aesthetic that was born out of punk it's very very different the dressing styles are victorian and edwardian which is more of a different subsect of goth and it's mostly black attire dark makeup and black hair A lot of goth items and clothing draw influence from B-rate movies, gothic literature, vampire cults, Celtic, Christian, Egyptian, and general pagan mythology and traditions, which is why you'll see a lot of uh, goth people wearing religious iconography and stuff like that. Traditional goths back in the 90s would look for clothing at their stores since there wasn't really a big box store that you could just go buy gothic style stuff from. It wasn't really a thing at the time. Um, Some people said that they would go and specifically buy slips or lingerie, more like older lingerie, like a slip or like a nightgown, and they would just dye it black. So a lot of classic goth fashion, it was actually really thrifting heavy. Um, And that's kind of a sentiment that I've heard with a lot of older goths or elder goths, as they're called, is that most of what they have are thrifted and you can't really find something like that kind of just uniquely out in the world being sold as like a mass produced item. Which um, like the thrifting heavy thing has also kind of carried over into like modern day goth culture as well, but it's sort of gotten more annoying in that people just aren't, my personal opinion, as creative with it as they used to be. I think they don't want to put in the effort to try and like take the collar from this and put it on the shirt of this like there's a lot less wanting to like frankenstein an outfit together um and there's a lot less willingness to layer the expectation is that you get a dress and it comes with all of the different layers and everything kind of added into it um and there is a reference later on to like mass-produced goth fashion um an elder goth on youtube had an opinion about it she's also linked in the the resources yeah like i know that anytime we go to like a thrift store we're not like and especially for me i'm not like looking specifically for dark clothing i'm looking for stuff that i would be willing to dye like oh if i like the style of this i just don't like the color of it i can dye it black it'll be something that i would feel comfortable wearing once it's dyed that different color but like i we would go and like we would see like some girls who are more alternative and they're just have like every dark clothing item dude literally the last two times that we went to the thrift store we saw someone who looks like younger it's not the same person but we would see like a girl who looked younger and she would just buy every single piece of black clothing even if it like what she was holding didn't necessarily look goth it looked kind of basic but also she wasn't dressed goth she was dressed more seen at least from someone who did grow up in the emo and like scene Mm -hmm. scene um you've seen pictures of me as a kid yeah (laughs) but um it just it feels like late like to it feels like there's an expectation for convenience that just was not a thing back mm -hmm. then 
And I think that's kind of what's, for me, really off about the scene now is, like, everybody expects it to be sort of uniform. Like, there's no, there's, like, hardly any uniqueness now. Like, everybody gets the same, like, five things. And You're actually saying exactly what that other lady said. So we'll get into it. Hold that thought. <laughs> okay. We'll get into it because you're literally saying exactly what she said. So we'll get to it in a second. So... Um, for people who are interested in dyeing their stuff, I did take this opinion um, from her. She said that she, and this was specifically from a YouTuber that I also linked. I don't remember her name. Um, it's Angelica something. She said that they wouldn't use black dye um, because it would end up looking a weird color. They would actually use red or blues to get a lot of the colors that they liked. And what they would do is they would layer a lot of stuff together. And because everything is layered under black anyway, it would actually look really good together. Also, for collars and stuff like that, they would go to pet stores, which I actually remember doing as a kid. I would go to pet stores to get collars and, like, bracelets and stuff like that. Um, and they would get a lot of their accessories from religious stores, like um, like rosaries and stuff like that. Typical fashion for goths looks like black hair with a lot of heavy um, influences from punk outfits. Um, jewelry is typically silver. And some things do take it down, like the pagan or religious route. You can kind of understand what I'm saying with that. So, gothic literature, because this is kind of roping in a lot of stuff. So, the genre of gothic literature is a genre of fiction that combines romance and dark themes. And um, these character kind of portrayals, you'll also find the look of these characters in the period of time that they're from kind of carries over in a goth fashion as well. Settings are traditionally castles, gloomy churchyards, claustrophobic monasteries, and lonely mountain roads. I'm thinking very specifically of Dracula with this. Characters consist of cruel parents, sinister priests, courageous victors, helpless heroines, and supernatural figures like demons, vampires, ghosts, and monsters. Uh, there are focuses on characters who are ill-fated, innocent victims harassed by malicious figures, and characters gradually going insane. It hits a lot of the dark themes that a lot of other things don't really want to talk about, and it takes it to a very dark place, but also it, it is kind of grounded in reality, which is the unfortunate part. Yeah, like... Um... I'm finally reading Dracula for the first time because I never read it in school. Um, but I did read Frankenstein like several times in school, specifically for school. But it's so much better than what I was anticipating. Like, because I've heard like how bad like some old literature can be. And it's just from that perspective that people don't really sit down and think about what it was like, what was going on when it was written the sentiment it should have had it's so wild to me because <laughs> this is so good like i love this book dracula is objectively a very good book um gothic art i didn't do a huge bit on this but i did mention Ophelia, so that's cool um this focused on mystics morbid and romantic motifs erotic artwork and romantic images of vampires and ghosts so basically if you just painted any scene from any gothic literature onto a canvas boom gothic art sexuality gothic subculture had a heavy influence with the rebellion of commonplace sexuality think the nuclear family it kind of went against that women could escape the submissive role that they were expected to be in by society and there was a crossover into polyamory queerness bdsm and paganism i don't know why that was roped into sexuality but it was men were able to dress more androgynous um, wear makeup things like that and almost reverted backwards as far as how they treated women where they kind of treated women in that same Victorian courting. So there was a lot of respect put on women with stuff like that. It was very classical. 
but there was also a lot of modern deviousness when it came to sex and stuff like that, which is not very surprising. So it's just a, a, a little scape. Modern day culture. I'm so excited I get to talk about this now. A British sitcom, The It Crowd, featured a recurring goth character named Richmond Avnol, played by Noel Fielding, our favorite boy from the Great British Bake Off. I love Noel so much. We will literally kill someone for this man. We love him. Noel said in an interview that he had been goth since about the age 15 and had a series of goth girlfriends, but this was the first time he dabbled in makeup and he enjoyed that his girlfriends would also dress up with him. This is very cute. Um, some people consider buying ready-made goth outfits to be semi-mall goth, which mall goth is a whole other fucking situation. Mall goths are actually considered to be the people who really like Marilyn Manson, which is not considered goth at all. I think the people who like Marilyn Manson consider themselves goth, but that is definitely not goth. It is more of whatever the fuck is going on with Marilyn Manson. There's a huge issue with goth and Marilyn Manson. I don't, I don't understand it. I mean, I do, but I don't. Aren't mall goths the goths that like actively try to like bite people and and hiss at people yes 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 i called them here's the thing was so weird to me is they're called mall goths but when i was working at a mall we called them mall rats and it's because i worked with elder goths and elder goths called them mall rats they don't call them mall goths because they're not goths so if you hear someone calling a group of like scene kids mall rats, it's a derogatory way of calling them mall goth, and that person's an elder goth because I didn't know the term mall goth and mall rat were the same thing. I thought mall rats were different. So, but yeah, they like bite people. <laughs> Shit, it's crazy. So, um, there is a heavy kind of push on wanting to thrift things and dye things and style things, but buying pre-made clothes some people have said just makes everyone kind of look the same and there's no really uniqueness uniqueness in the goth culture anymore new goths in the subculture are considered baby bats which i have been lovingly referred to as a baby bat many a times and older goths um goths that were around when it first arised in the 80s are considered elder goths there's a lot of subsections of the fashion now, and the fashion trends also kind of cross over, so it's really hard to, like, say you're one or the other. Um, and in a lot of places, seemingly, ex- especially now, I've heard a lot of people say that you can be goth just based off of fashion, and while you don't have to listen to the older music or even goth music in general, it is expected that you do just to appreciate it. So I don't know where the divide happened from it being a music-based to fashion-based subculture, but I still think it is technically a music one just because of how heavy the music was and influenced the fact that goth wouldn't even be a thing if the music hadn't happened. So that's just me. Yeah, like for me, like you have to listen to like goth music at least a little bit in order to be considered part of the subculture. However, small rant here. Fleetwood Mac is not goth. Thank you. Goodbye. That's like folk-ish. It's more classic. I would put rock. that with I would yeah I would it's, put that with Hozier, but not like too much Hozier. Like they're distant cousins. No, it's it, they started out as blues and they moved into the more classic rock, and they do have that kind of witchy vibe that a lot of like modern day like witchy like witches mm-hmm. go for. But it's mm-hmm. specifically classic rock. That was something that my grandfather. It's just like a raised more, me on. like it tame is. classic classic rock. I think yeah. It's very, like, it's more mellow classic rock, but it's still considered classic rock. Yeah. Okay. So, 
there does seem to be a trend of each wave of goth being kind of distant from the next wave that comes after it, almost like how generations are kind of like, ah, these generations these days have it so much easier when I was this or whatever. Like there's that kind of distinct like generational divide. It seems to be the same thing in goth, but I think the generations just happen about every decade or so. Um, There is a mentioning that if you do wear religious symbols, especially nowadays, you at least need to know the meaning of the religious symbol before you just start wearing it. So at least there's a little bit more awareness of a cultural appropriation in goth. Not a lot, but enough. Um, uh, this I pulled directly from the thesis. I'm quoting this here. Um, I cannot pronounce this name. Marcia, and I'm not even going to try with her last name, uh, of the Christian Research Journal defines goth culture as a lifestyle rather than just interests. Goths appreciate what mainstream society finds taboo and unsettling, such as horror and death. According to her, it is a state of mind rather than mere fashion statement. While some goths love to dress in extreme outfits that will grab attention, others prefer to express themselves through art and poetry. Goths defy stereotypes, even in themselves, and rarely are two goths the same. The biggest part of defining goth is to start inward, not outward. Most goths have the sense of being disconnected from the mainstream culture and having a strong fascination with things that most would prefer to not think about, such as death. Now we're going to get into all the different types of goths that I could realistically handle, which is like 20. So these are the different types of goths. So we have the traditional trad goths, which are the look of post-punk. Now this is entirely fashion-based, by the way. So we have the traditional trad goths, or traditional goths as they are called. Then we have cyber goths. Um, cyber goth I've actually seen a lot of these they're pretty cool looking they have a lot of bright neons mixed into the black they wear gas masks goggles they have dreads which I don't appreciate or they have those like tubes you don't talk about the like colored tubes it's crazy yeah I love those um I also see a lot of them wearing very chunky shoes and they have those big like leg cover puff things super cool looking um and the sound is more techno goth, um, and they're commonly the ones that you're going to find at uh, raves. So it's like EDM goth. Romantic goth, which is not you, is more um, like like romantic period style clothing, but black. And they like it a lot of traditional music. I don't know if that meant traditional goth music or traditional classical music, because then we get into Victorian goths. Now, Victorian goths are different in the sense that they dress like Victorian nobility. They enjoy dark theater and classical music. So we're getting away from the goth music and we're jumping more into just gothic look, but of a certain time period. There's also med- medieval goth, which is not you. <laughs> this is influence. <laughs> not you. <laughs> not you. Shut up. Not you. <laughs> Sometimes when you put a nail into a hole, shut up. <laughs> So we have medieval goth, which is influenced by, shocker, the medieval period. They have a love of fantasy, iconography, like dragons and fairies and stuff like that. Stuff you'd see at a Ren fair, And they really enjoy folk music. Hozier is goth, in my opinion. Thank you. Here we go. Vampire goth. There you are. This is That's kind- me. <laughs> this, that's actually the more, like, vampire goth. It's like, my, like, the aesthetic I've set out from the beginning to try to have. I just... The very There's last something. point on this list, I wrote literally me, though. So we'll get to that eventually. Do you want to take a wild guess of which one I categorized as myself? Oh, gosh. We'll get I there. Don't. Yeah, I don't we'll get there. Yet. Vampire goth is a subtype of the other threes that come before this. 
but it specifically has an influence of like vampiric culture so pretty much dracula um which shocker you're reading dracula right now there's also steampunk goth which i am very well aware of because i actually was in the steampunk community for a little bit and it's a combination of the victorian and cyber goth aesthetic but it leads heavy into the um sci-fi the zeppelins stuff like that you know the non-existent Hindenburg incident. No. Oh, oh my God. I'm going Did to we explain this yet? No. We haven't explained it? I don't think so, we have. So Psychos and I have a, have a question for each other whenever we're arguing something where it's called, is this your Hindenburg? And basically what it means is, is this something that is 100% true, but regardless of how much I try to convince you of it, you will never believe me. So Mythos does not believe that zeppelins exist because growing up they played world of warcraft a lot whoa 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 okay no you're already spouting false information it's not that i played i mean i did play a lot of world of warcraft growing up but (laughs) it's because i had only ever seen zeppelins in fantasy settings i'd never seen zeppelins or blimps i think it's a blimp technically um i had never seen blimps in real life which is stupid because the goodyear blimp is like a thing like i had a plushie not a plushie but i had like a toy of it but i'm like oh it's it's just a big funny fake balloon it's like a macy's parade balloon but no one's in it so yeah i know uh, look i know the hint you're gonna cover this one day or i'll cover it one day no i'm gonna cover the hindenburg incident one day because it's technically a crime and you're gonna be like I'm so glad you decided to tell us a not real story like a not real story (laughs) at all and I'm gonna be like bashing my head against the mic like literally all right so the next thing that we have is cabaret goth or burlesque goth I'm gonna stop at every single one and see if this is what you think I am or not cabaret goth or burlesque goth I feel like you are slowly getting into I haven't heard the description yet but a lot of the music that you do like to listen to does kind of fall into this. So I wonder if it's mm-hmm. going to start like impacting horny. like, yeah, horny bimbo goth. It's fine. <laughs> yes. If it's not already a thing, Psychos has coined my type of goth as horny bimbo goth, which I really heavily appreciate. It's like, do you really? Because I'm terrified that I every do. time I, I say it, I think it's very <laughs> fun. And f- it's very interesting. It definitely does fit like me in kind of the fashion that I go for is like, Horny bimbo goth. I like it. Yeah. Because every time I say I'm terrified, like, oh, God, they're going to think I'm, like, slut shaming and being, like, mean about it. I'm like, no, genuinely, this is, like, I think it's very cute. Like, it's a very cute aesthetic for you. Mm-hmm. So, cabaret goth or burlesque goth has a 50s vibe. Um, cabaret goths or burlesque goths typically want to be seen as sexual, but, like, tastefully sexual. Next, we have fetish goth. No. No. This leads more towards the BDS side of things. That's literally all I wrote down because that's all you need to know. Tribal goth or belly dancer goth. I feel like that's like, how do I phrase this? I feel like that's more it, let me explain. Let me explain it before okay. you say one thing or the other. So tribal goths or belly dancer goths are influenced by classical belly dancing outfits. They use bones and gems to decorate their outfits, and they also have heavy Egyptian and Arabian themes. Just feels racist somehow. Like, it, it feels very appropriation-y if the wrong people are doing it. Does that make sense? Yeah. Next, we have gothabilly, which is a mixture of rock and hillbilly with goth. So it's rockabilly, but goth, which... It just makes sense. It's like pinup. 
but goth and it looks really good on the people who do it um i could never but i just i everyone who does it is beautiful next we have pastel goth i've heard of pastel goth and i i saw it at the michaels uh halloween thing they had a pastel goth section i don't like pastel goth personally either like i understand like at one point you want to like listen to like you want to listen to dark music but you don't want your like entire existence to be dark almost so you try to like lighten it with your outfits but it just feels very bubblegum poppy goth yeah to me it doesn't yeah. it doesn't ring as like yeah it definitely feels more like scene almost next we have white goth which i'd never heard of before and it's basically any of these types of goth but just sub where the black for goes for white it's literally just the opposite you see it a lot more in the romantic or victorian styles where mm-hmm. instead of wearing all black they were all white, and it's supposed to give the illusion of a ghost or, like, a really pale effect. Interesting. Um, next, I couldn't ever. I didn't want to leave this out at all, so I did add this in. We have Japanese goth styles, because obviously Japanese fashion is going to have an influence somewhere. So, J-goths are split into two types of goth, both, both of which I'm very aware of. So, we have Visual K and Gothic Lolita. This is kind of that, like, I don't want to say punk, but kind of like a... Like a retro looking J fashion, but make it dark. I would also consider Gothic Lolita to be more Lolita than Gothic in itself. I'm not going to get into the entire history of Lolita fashion or the media, whatever Lolita. It's completely different. Um, But there's that. And then there's casual goth. Well, technically both of us right now, but... So that's the thing. So casual goth is actually, it's really funny that this is considered to be it, but casual goth is actually considered to be what other goths will wear when they're not outside because obviously people aren't going to dress like this all the time. And 90% of the time goths dressed in casual goth fashion, which is really just casual clothes, t-shirts, black, stuff like that, just comfy clothes. I'm really surprised this was actually added in as a thing because that makes absolutely no sense to me, but there we go. So, all right, this is the dark thing. We're okay. at the dark part. Before we jump into the dark part real quick, um, I feel like casual goth is what we are like 99.9% of the time. And then anytime we go out, we dress more of the yeah subsection that we really want to be. Mm-hmm. I agree. But it's like very specific like days that we dress like that. It's not even like... Going it takes out too much with, energy, man. It takes so much time. Okay. Columbine. I have words I am going to do, like, a, like a mini-series on Columbine. Not now. Probably, like, next year or the year after, depending on just when we have time to do it. Just because of how much information there is about it. Now, Columbine... I know very little about this outside of what Psychos has lovingly ranted to me about. Um, it no, makes me turn so your mind angry. Okay. <laughs> We're going to be here for 40 hours if I don't stop you right there. Columbine was a school shooting that took place in 1999 at Columbine High School. The shooters were Eric Harris and Dylan Klebold. Thank you. In the weeks following the shooting, the media painted these shooters as goths and that they were part of a goth cult. This led to a sort of red scare, but within the goth subculture. The two boys were thought to be part of a group called the Trenchcoat Mafia, 
which makes the Alphabet Mafia whole thing make me uncomfortable now, an informal club in the school. This was later proven false. There was actually no factual evidence to provide that they were goth, and um, there was another school shooting that took place where the shooter proclaimed himself as goth, but the goth community in the area said this dude, one, is not goth, and two, he's a fucking, he was literally a metalhead. Like, a, like a full, like, death rock metalhead. And um, it, it was just... Yeah, so there, it's very easy to pin these kind of wearing darker clothing, doing dark things, people uh, who do terrible things. It's really easy to pin them as goth, but they are completely, completely different um, subsections. I also want to add in here uh, really quickly that there was a study done about people who trigger warning for uh, SH, right? Yeah, there was a study done about people who self-harm who were in the goth community and while it was said that over 60 percent of the people did self-harm they did not self-harm while they were in the subculture it was before they had found the subculture when they felt like they had no kind of escape or place of community and once they got into the subculture and found that community within the you know the goth culture they felt a lot more comfortable and they were a lot more accepted and they they felt like they were getting better um and they were so just adding that in there i have funny youtube comments now and then and then we'll be done with your section with my section so funny youtube comments this was from trash theory the before Bauhaus: how goth became goth um this comment says i love bella lugosi's dead because i can start the song do the dishes walk the dog and pick out an outfit before the song even starts <laughs> i mean that's so accurate <laughs> Another comment says, I love how every how genre became genre mentions the Velvet Underground. I feel like the Velvet Underground I feel like the, the Velvet, Velvet underground. underground has like their fingers in like almost every genre. Like every eat. pie. Every pie has felt the touch of the Velvet Underground. <laughs> Another man and if this is not a hoodie, this is merch. We are totally releasing this as merch. I don't know if we can take this. But the comment said, goth is uh, dead, dot, 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 undead, 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 which is a reference to Bella Lugosi's dead. I love that. This I thought was very interesting to point out. This did not have a lot of interaction on it, but um, I wanted to mention this just in case I might have missed something. It says they missed a few bands from the UK that contributed to the early movement, Killing Joke, Sex Bang Children. Southern Death Cult, later The Cult, and The Specimen. In fact, back in the day, there were dozens, but these were the most notable that were still not as well-known outside of the UK. So, for any UK people that are going to throw me out of a two-story window, because um, that's a reference to next episode, because of um, me not mentioning... You look so shocked. Me not mentioning the UK bands. There you go. Angry Bob on the Bauhaus video decided to say it for me. Um, speaking of Southern Death Cult, and then later on, just the cult, as you mentioned, uh, we've actually listened to a few of their songs together. We, we have? Really... Yeah. Did I like it? Yeah, you kind of did. It was, like, what very... Song? I don't remember, honestly. Like, it was, like, one of those things where we were just looking at, like, different, like, goth bands, and then we found this one, and we started listening to a couple of their songs. So, that is my section on the history of goth culture Woo! did you enjoy it did you learn did you have fun i feel like i learned a lot of information but also because i'm so into the goth scene none of this was really crazy new to me i mean honestly same 
Like, this was stuff, like, I was slowly, like, picking up on as, like, I maneuvered. Like, especially after I turned 18 and really started diving into the kind of stuff that I wanted to do. Um, Like, with my look and everything else, I just, these were just kind of things that I picked up on. And it, but, like, having them all come together in, like, one cohesive unit of information makes more sense to me. And I just think it's really cool, though. It definitely was an interesting thing to research. I didn't realize, I don't want to say I didn't realize how music heavy it was, but it's really interesting how much of a divide there is between how modern goths are kind of, and I say modern goths as like goth people who have become goth in the last like 10 years, really don't have such a lean in the music. And then you have these people who are like alter freaking like elitist about it. Which makes me wonder if there's a push to be elitist about it, to almost prove to elder goths that you have the right to be here, when I don't think elder goths are even giving a shit at that point, because most elder goths are in their, like, 60s now. Yeah, from what I've seen, most elder goths don't care as long as you listen to the music, like, occasionally. Like, I've heard people say, like, even if you listen to just one goth song on repeat and... Like, it's mixed in with, like, other music. You're still technically goth because you are still consuming something that's goth. Welcome back. We took a break to eat lunch. Yeah, we took a break to eat, and now we're back. And Because, unfortunately, I think this is going to be, like, four hours long. (laughs) Not on y'all's end, but on our end. It's going to be, like, four hours long. Yeah. I'm going to try to make it not be four hours, but we'll see. Just a heads up for next week. Next week is going to be a two-parter. And it's going to be long episodes. So uh, just a heads up, next week might be like four hours post-editing. Yeah, we'll see. Um, It ultimately (laughs) depends on how we record it and run it. Mm -hmm. Alrighty. So thank you for teaching us about goth subcultures. I got a thumbs up. (laughs) And you're welcome. Which is very important because my case is very um, well known in terms of the goth community. Mm -hmm. Today I'm going to be talking about the death, the attack and death of Sophie Lancaster. Just a heads up for everyone. I do actually know this case. Um, We've watched some videos on it before. So I I do actually have a rough idea of what happens this time. I'm just going to be mad. Yeah. So... If you could point out one thing that's unique to for solely you, what would it be? What do you mean? Like, if somebody were to describe you at, like, for instance, uh, like, murder documentary style. Asshole. What is, <laughs> what is the one thing that would be unique about you that stands out to people? I'm an asshole. Is that really going to be your response? I don't, I don't know. Why don't you tell me? I'm not going to say that you light up a room because that's like immediate like I don't light up a room. I am the life of the party, though, but I hate parties, but I am a very energetic person. Yeah, you do. Like, I would say that you are very energetic. You do care very deeply about the people in your life. Mm -hmm. And you're also very caring, but you're like motherly caring. Like, I I want to put my head on your boobs and like cry. I don't know how to react to that. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, but are you leaving that in? Honestly, I might. <laughs> Just so everybody knows how depraved you really are. <laughs> I'm joking. 
Would that thing that makes you so special be worth dying over? If somebody told you you cannot behave like this anymore, you cannot do this thing anymore, otherwise you'll die. To me, if we're making the personality point be that I'm very caring of the people in my life and I'm very I'm a very loyal person. Mm-hmm. I'm very protective. Like if somebody told you that um if you stayed loyal to this one person, like staying loyal to this one person would get you killed one day, would you still be loyal to that person? Yes. Okay. If the person's you. Absolutely. <laughs> would you like yeah, carry on with my little mini questionnaire. Would you own that part of you with pride or would you try to tuck that away because No, nope, absolutely. I would wear that like a badge of honor. Yeah. For a lot of people, it's a no-brainer. Why live at all if you can't live as your most authentic self? Sophie Lancaster wore her differences with pride and a kind heart. And unfortunately, not everybody around her was as gentle with it. Mm -hmm. And that was my intro. I like it. It's different. Yeah, I'm trying to like branch out a little bit more with my intros. Mm Mm-hmm. Mini rant before I get started. I'm going to top this off by saying if this was purposely done by the family, okay, I respect that decision. However, if it was not purposely done by the family, why? Why is the most important thing that this girl has done in her life? Why is it dying? Because I have found very little information about who she was before everything. Like, there is more information out there about the night of the attack, the trial. And how her life ended and everything that came after. But there is next to nothing about who she was, what she did, what she was planning on doing with her life beforehand. I was able to locate some information, not as super detailed as I would typically like to be when it comes to stuff like this. And almost all of my information I have gained from the video that Eleanor Neal did on this. Is she's great by the way yeah i highly enjoy her videos i highly recommend her videos but most of my information about her prior to the attack is from that video so question really fast um i lost my sock what uh she's not one of those uh true crime people that's been like called out recently right she's a good one she's a good being I think she might be a good bean. Um, she She's a great bean. Yeah, she used to do her makeup and talk about true crime at the same time, but then she just swerved over to just true crime. And, now, and she now has this um, fun segment that she does on Fridays where it's, she's not talking specifically about true crime cases, but just like creepy stuff. Like uh, I think one day she talked about the exploitation of I See Your Sock. It's over by the mirror. <laughs> you threw it. I'm sorry. Um, But I know she recently has started like a new series on Fridays where she'll talk about um, more creepy stuff, not necessarily true crimey based, but she talked about like the exploitation of women in Hollywood one episode and then another episode she talked about the um, derailing of a roller coaster. Like she is sort of expanding. She's branching out. Anyway, so her video is where I get most of my information for the beginning of her life. I've Mm -hmm. also used the Sophie Lancaster Foundation's um, page for a more general, for more timeline reasons. And then I've just dived into a lot of the 
news articles that was happening as things were going on. It was very wild to be able to see the different articles come out because you can like uh, in Google, you can put the news articles in order um, like most recent. And then if you just scroll all the way back, you can like see the information as it comes out. It was very interesting. Sophie Lancaster was born on November 26th, 1986 to Sylvia and John Lancaster, who had a son named Adam before Sophie. Her birthday's soon. When does this episode come out? This episode will come out right before her birthday. Right before her birthday. The 24th? Her birthday is Sunday then. Yeah, her birthday's the 26th. That was not planned. Happy early birthday. Happy early birthday. That was not planned. No, I just happened to know it was November this time. Yeah. Alrighty. Um. So she has an older brother named Adam. I could not find when he out when he was born, but named was like Adam. Adam. They said Adam. No, Adam. He was a couple years older than her. Um. So Sylvia is a trooper mom throughout this entire thing, and I, I, like she is genuinely so amazing for the work that she's done after the death of her daughter but she was very but like she also absolutely adored Sophie like her and um, Sophie were very close Um, growing up Sophie kept to herself mostly more of a book person than a people person which I feel like a lot of people can relate to me too honestly Um, I know I was that kind of kid and while there to bring that up again there's not a whole lot about her early life due to the fact that she's pretty much known for dying and that's very upsetting to me because people are more than the worst things has ever happened to them and the fact that she's been reduced to oh the girl who died because she was goth is very sickening to me it feels like a waste of human life it and does. not in the sense like she was a waste of space like it's a waste of how complex and important like life as an experience is yeah and i understand that had it been somebody else had it been somebody who didn't have a mother who loved them as much as sylvia loved their sylvia loved sophie if it was if it was somebody who just didn't have the time and energy to devote to this a lot of the after effects of this happening would not have happened like there would not be the same protections and it's really a catch-22 where obviously you never want somebody to die but if that person hadn't died would we still have these same after effects Mm -hmm. and that is a very difficult position to be in continuing on um sophie was very kind and caring she absolutely adored her mother like i mentioned before They had a very strong bond and often Sophie would mention that she just wanted to be like her mom growing up. Um, Sylvia worked as a youth worker, which according to Indeed is somebody who just works with youth to build up certain life skills outside of just schoolwork. They can set up programs, events, and different things to just engage children and the young adults in the community. Sophie wanted to help people just like her mother did when she grew up. That's so sweet. Yeah, so Sylvia already had that. I will bounce back and forth between Sylvia and Sylvie. Um, Sylvie was m- what she's and more this commonly is the mother. known as. This Sylvia. is the mother. Okay. Yeah, Sylvia. Um, but I'm going to refer to her as Sylvie from now on because it's that's how she is for the rest of my notes. 
Sylvie already had the background in community work and then youth work that would help her later on after her daughter died. Mm-hmm. Which is another thing to point out is like she's already has this background in things. So had it been anybody else, would they still have had the necessary know-how to go about starting the change? And it's yeah. something that I find myself, I keep like going back over these notes. I find myself keep asking that question, like, did it have to be her? And if it did, are these the reasons why? It's so, it's a really weird position. To, it's a really weird headspace. <laughs> As Sophie, like, grew up, she grew more into her personality. She cracked jokes a lot more. She was a lot snarkier. Like, she was very, like, quick-witted. She wasn't, like, snarky as in, like, mean snarky, but, like, she could, like, dish it out and take it. She was, like, back and forth with close friends and family. But Mm -hmm. if you were not inside her tight inner circle that she, like, correlated for herself, not correlated, um, accumulated for herself, you wouldn't be able to see this part of her. She was still very self-conscious she was just like a little witty yeah when sophie hit her mid to late teens she fell into the world of punk rock and there she literally blossomed like she found she fell in love with the community she fell in love with the music she fell in love with like the outfits and this is where a lot of people kind of get confused she started experimenting with her hair like her appearance around this time as well like she was dying her hair she had dreadlocks um she got some pierces and started wearing more dark and baggy clothes i would personally put her look to be almost not necessarily cyber goth but that kind of like it it is very like punk like cyber yeah i don't, don't want to say cyberpunk because it's a whole different thing but it is more punk in my, in my personal opinion yeah she was definitely more in the punk scene at this point in time i don't um there isn't a really like set timeline for when she go like if she ever went goth like full goth it just seemed like she was just more into the punk side of things and maybe post-punk not quite goth but like in that little gray yeah in that little gray area between punk and goth i think yeah finding this niche actually really helped sophie find her voice and that was instrumental in finding the parts of her strength that she wasn't really able to find within herself before her mom was actually very supportive of this and because there's nothing she wouldn't do for her daughter if her daughter decided that she wanted to go down this route with her look and with this subculture she would support her a thousand percent and that is very rare i feel like now it is really rare and it's definitely not a common thing to find in any alternative communities it's kind of a stereotype that like oh you're in an alternative community you must not get along with like your parents or whatever it really is a weird stereotype but it it like it is a little true and so for her to have that support system it's honestly great but it, it also is just a little bit more tragic given that like it's such an uncommon thing to have and it mm-hmm. was given i mean rightfully so to someone who really desperately needed it it seems but also like it's it's just unfortunate that it was such a good all-around family that that this had to happen to you know yeah like it it's harder to really put into words just how much of a tragedy this really was on at like every level so it just I'm happy that while Sophie was still alive she had an awesome support system Mm -hmm. 
And I'm sure she probably felt that, too. I'm sure she did. Her and her mother were very close. Mm -hmm. I think it was... I'm honestly a little jealous, but I'm happy that she did have that support system there. Because, of course, not everybody was super accepting, which is something we see kind of everywhere. But Sophie always kind of let the bullying roll off her back like it was nothing. She was fully immersing herself in the punk rock and goth subcultures and really grew into herself at this point in time. Like, so she was kind of like exploring the goth subcultures, but her look was definitely more punky, if that makes sense. Of course, while she grew into herself, she went out and started to make new friends. And she was eventually introduced to a boy named Robert Maltby. And the two hit it off almost immediately. While um, Robert Maltby was about a year older than Sophie, the two were practically the same person. Like Do we know around what age she was when they met? Um, just mid to late teens. Yeah, fair. Sophie's family like absolutely adored Robert and brought him into their like family almost immediately. Mm-hmm. They provided a safe space for Robert, who had stumbled upon like the goth punk scene as a way to express himself when quote unquote normie culture kind of felt too oppressive. I love him. the term normie, by the way. I absolutely adore it. I don't know why. It's just it's a great it's a great term. I love calling people normies. Is yeah. it is that terrible of me to do? Probably. Do I care? No. <laughs> um at some point um during this time they started dating, which is kind of important, especially mm-hmm. later on. Yeah. This I do know. Like I said, I, I already know this this case. So. Yeah. So the two did start dating at some point. But whenever they were together, they were very quick to laugh off or strip, just ignore the strange looks or comments they got in public at the like whenever they were spending time together in the beginning. What a cute couple. Like what a healthy like little like uh-huh, these losers. Like they're not don't get it like i just love that like they don't let it get to them that much it's really sweet i think so too because to them and like most people who are in my opinion sane and have at least a little bit of empathy making fun of somebody for how they look or how they dress is incredibly immature it really is and i also like i'm gonna go on a side tangent here real fast i hate this like the thing that I hate more than anything else like I understand like kids being bullies because they're like young and stupid and they don't understand things but I hate when adults be like behave like big children like they bully and especially like when they do that to like teenagers and like kids like you're a whole ass adult and I'm not sitting here saying like if you are a child and you harass someone on twitter and then they hurt like tell you that you're being an idiot and they're like "Mm, you're arguing with a child like you're the wrong you're in the wrong here but when you're an adult like a full normie adult and you like shit on people for being alternative in any way you're just acting like a child and it's not cute you're being petty and i hate petty culture i hate petty culture because it's excusing bullying by claiming girl boss is the best way I can explain it. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Like, there are ways to be petty in a... Because like, here's instance, the thing. Like, petty, petty revenge Petty is, and malicious compliance are not the same thing. Yeah. 
petty is being a bully. It's being mean. It's being ridiculous. And then being like, oh, well, it's okay. I'm just a little petty. It just makes me quirky. It's like, no, because your version of petty is textbook definition bullying. And I understand everyone's like, oh my God, like bullying. Like that's such a childish thing. Like, okay, fine. If you if you don't want to use the word bullying, then I'll call it what it actually is. It's harassment. You are going out of your way to harass someone. It is verbal assault by the definition of assault. It is verbal assault. It is morally wrong. And not only do you look like a dumbass, but then you're trying to justify you being a dumbass by saying it's okay, it's part of what makes me quirky and cute, but you're actually just a terrible person. Yeah, fully agree. Um, And this is to people who don't deserve it. Like, if someone cheats on you and you're petty back, like, that's, I feel like that's a different justification. If you're being petty to someone who has, like, morally wronged you, like, that that's a different situation but if you've just woken up one day and decided to just be a petty asshole to someone who literally is not infringing on your existence stop eating your microphone on your existence at all and this is how you choose to carry yourself you need to go back to preschool like respectfully i don't think people should be behaving this way and if you are above the age of 25 and acting like a petty little child you do not have a place in civilization to me as a person. But I am a very, very, very harsh person. I'm not petty. I'm just harsh when it comes to the reality of if I don't like someone, I will tell you if you ask. Yeah, that's very fair. I fully agree. But going back to my case, um, to Robert and Sophie, they didn't really see... Like, like they saw the humor in it. They're like, why would we care? Why would we entertain these people's judgments when the two of them had spent so long trying to find something that made them feel okay, something that made them feel like they belonged. And once they found it, who cares if this is what's getting them like weird stares in public? Like I feel like they kind of felt sorry for these people who were like judging them like, oh, you like, I personally interpreted it as, oh, these people have probably have never had that sense of community before, where they feel so obligated to appear and act normal that whenever they see peop- two people genuinely enjoying their lives and how, like, dressing how they want to, that it just feel like that weird, trying to figure out how to phrase this. You know what I'm trying to say, though? Yeah, I know what you're trying to say. Like, it feels so weird that somebody gets so offensive, like, offended whenever you see somebody just living their life. What's that one thing um, that I saw on TikTok where a lady was like, if a doll upsets you and offends you that much, I think you're being, like, a little too, like, sensitive. Or, like, if this one image, like, just completely shakes the foundation of your faith then your faith must be not that fucking strong you know like because in look i'm not (laughs) that one song we listen to not all christians i'm not saying all religious people get this uptight but the people that do nine times out of ten it's like when someone's cheating on you and this is personal experience that i've had where someone's cheating on you and then they start accusing you of cheating but you're not cheating but they're like 
like projecting. It's like, oh, you must be doing some something terribly and morally wrong because I would be or I am, you know, like they're almost assuming that everyone else is also just as bad as they are to justify why what they're doing is okay. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's like when people are racist and then assume everyone else around them is going to agree. And it's like, yeah, no, you're in the wrong here. Absolutely in the wrong. Around this time, this is the early 2000s, though, which would be just after, um, from an American standpoint, this is just after Columbine. But that kind of, like, did hit, like, international news almost. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And by that point, the there was, like, rising violence against the alternative subcultures. And there was a lot of just a lot of people wanted everybody to fit in and conform it wasn't Mm -hmm. like you have to have like certain things in order to fit in and whenever that kind of society is formed it hurts a lot of people like Sophie and Robert where conformity doesn't help them express the things that they're feeling the things that they are thinking what's going on in their brain it's very harmful as a whole in any context. So it's that's kind of also important to keep in mind as we keep going. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, due to rising violence in the area, both against like goth and alternative kids and just random people in general, they couldn't laugh it off much longer. Mm-hmm. Like it was getting really bad. Um, they would be physically attacked more often than once. Like, they like they were used to hearing, like, the comments and the weird stares, but they would often, like, they would get, like, physically pushed and hit at random points in time. Mm-hmm. And um, they just walked away. They didn't engage. They didn't react. They just walked away. Mm-hmm. Because if they fought back, they thought that it would be so much worse. Yeah. Which is really unfortunate because you hear that a lot from... Uh, like any minority group is like if you if someone hits you and you hit him back then you're just exactly what he thinks mm-hmm. that you are and that's a really hard situation to be in because you you're almost having to force yourself to take the abuse or risk being the reason why the abuse is justified yeah like they would like take everything that's happened to them like in one day like they would be hit they would be kicked they would be like spit at and they would take all of it and like internalize it until they could get home or to a safe place like where like with their friends or something and then they would just let everything out and unfortunately neither one of their families had any idea what was going on like they knew about like the weird stares and the comments but they had no idea it had gotten physical they had no idea that their children were regularly being beaten up and attacked on the regular and that's like a very heartbreaking thing for I think for a parent, especially one that loves their kid like as much as Sylvia as Sylvia loved Sophie. So she had no idea that any of this was going on. I'm assuming until after the fact, or yeah, she, she didn't find out until like later on before the attack happened that this was a thing. I think she didn't find out until after the attack happened. That's terrible. But Eleanor Neal included a a statistic in her video about this case that I also felt necessary to include. Um, But 7 in 10 people who are members of an alternative subculture had been assaulted or harassed just because they were part of this subculture. Have you ever been harassed? Um, 
not for being well both of us are in yeah. well, i'm not going to specify what it is but both of us are in a creative uh, community have you yeah. I, I mean i know i've I've, I've definitely been been treated poorly for being like that i've been harassed for being lgbtq plus um at one of my jobs that was in food service, I would regularly have drinks and things thrown at me simply because I had a pin on me that stated my pronouns. And if I went to any ev- like pride events, I would have to almost always hide my identity because most of the class, I was in classes with people who very loudly and proudly did not support this. And if they found out that I was going to these things, I would have been made a target. But um, as far as that creative community uh, goes, I have never been like threatened with violence. I have been sexually harassed, but never threatened with violence or been like people gotten violent with me like they have whenever they found out I was part of the LGBTQ plus community. Why, why do so many people sexually harass the people that they consider to be weird? I don't know. And other, like, that makes no sense to me. Okay, we need, we need to stay on track. Sorry. Yeah, going back to the fact that seven out of ten people were assaulted or harassed just because they were part of this alternate subculture is very alarming to me. And this was, like, back in, I want to say, I think. I didn't. I forgot to include the date on this um, study, but I think it was like back in two thousand nine or two thousand ten, whenever that was that study was conducted. So it is still kind of old. We don't know there. There wasn't a more recent study that I found that could like update that. But that is still very alarming to me. Once the school year of two thousand six started back up, it became apparent to the couple that they wanted to do separate things with their lives, but like they wanted to do things together. Robert was going into university, university for an Good art degree. Uni. Yeah, he was going to uni in Manchester for an art degree, and Sophie wanted to take a gap year before she, before she pursued a English degree. Ooh, fancy! So like, Robert's off getting his art degree, and Sophie kind of followed him to Manchester to like stay with him, but she was just going to take a year to chill out after um, high school, just to like get her shit together i guess before going back to school i which i'm i mean honestly fair you've been to school for like 12 13 years at this point you kind of want a break before you dive back in for another four years they moved to manchester and up until 2007 they were genuinely happy robert was making excellent strides in his art and Sophie was his main muse for his art they were hung out with friends they went to concerts they were just living it's really cute i'm really sad for what's about to come can we just end it here and nothing bad ever happened and she went on to write amazing novels and her boyfriend ended up being a beautiful painter he was the next vincent van gogh done i'm sorry i can't have anything good in this goddamn household can i no what the fuck on friday August 10th, 2007, Sophie and Robert went to a gathering hosted by a mutual friend named Jonathan. The people were drinking, but nobody got like super drunk or rowdy. It was just like a bunch of college alternative kids getting together and hanging out. After a few drinks, closer to midnight, Robert and Sophie decided to head back to their flat. A bit tipsy, but they were also really happy. 
Um, they stopped at a corner shop and picked up some cigarettes and more alcohol. Which I want to point out really fast, tipsy is not like, oh, I can't walk. I'm so drunk. Like, I think people don't understand that, like, tipsy is not that, like, inebriated. Like, tipsy is, like, buzzed. You're, like, you're feeling good. Yeah. You're feeling happy. You're just, like, I'm aware of the fact that I am drinking and I'm happy, but I'm not, like... You're starting to, like, feel it a little bit, but not. it's not, like, really inhibiting anything. You're just, like, mm. Yeah, you're aware. Warm. They stopped at a corner shop and picked up some cigarettes and more alcohol. Heading out of the shop, they began to head back to their flat. Once they left, they met a group of drunk teenage girls who absolutely, like, adored Sophie and how she looked and dressed. Like, have you ever met, like, a group of, like, drunk girls who are, like... Drunk white girls in a bathroom are, like, the the greatest gift to this planet. Like, I love, like, really supportive drunk girls they're super sweet i don't meet them often but when i do i love them they're so nice yeah they're like absolutely like god's gift it's peak girlhood it's like unadulterated like girlhood i love it Mm -hmm. this group actually ended up walking with robert and sophie for a little bit and they ended up splitting up once they got to um, stubby lee park which is a shortcut they often took to get home because just because they were like other like roadways around that was like far more dangerous than just cutting through the park and especially at night you you're a little tipsy you've had alcohol you kind of don't want to risk it see what's weird is because of where I grew up I was always told to never go through a park at night like and that might just be because of where I was raised but like cutting through any kind of wooded area is like a no-go like if you if you have to walk somewhere you walk on a street you walk where it's well lit like you do not go into a park at night ever because you will never come out the other end like that was drilled into me as a kid yeah it's a little bit too on the nose I know and I realized it when I said it but like genuinely that was like a thing that I was told is like you do not go in you don't go out at night you don't go into the woods at night but to be fair like you know we were kind of raised like you and I both were kind of raised in like the mountains raised by like mountain-ish people yeah you so don't. you just don't go out at night and it's not really that it's like yeah there's animals and it's dangerous but like there are people out in those woods and you don't know who they are you don't know what they are like supernatural shit aside like there sometimes you just don't go out in the woods at night and it's it's for your own good that you just you don't want to know what's out there because it's it might be human. It might not be human. It's not worth trying to find out. Yeah. Once they split up from the group and started into Sibley Park, it was about 1 a.m. on August 11th. Once they got to the entrance of the park, they notice a group of boys who they immediately clock as people who would start harassing them. Unfortunately, they believe that this route would still be safer than going the long way home. And this belief would have awful consequences as sophie and robert passed the boys with their heads down trying to get home the boys started shouting at them calling them names like emo goth weirdo freak and mosher which was like mosh pit type yeah 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 which was very common at the time they ignored this group of boys believing if they just didn't react kept on going head down the group would get bored and move on it worked for them before so they didn't really see why it wouldn't work for them now. After about 
10 minutes of this verbal abuse, the couple gets the couple and the group gets to an area of the park that's like fully a skating park, so more concrete than other parts of the like rest of the park. These kids were at it for 10 minutes or 10 full minutes. Was no one else in the park? There were other people in the park. There were other witnesses in the park. We'll get to that. Later. Oh, and they just didn't fucking do anything. Incredible. Yeah. Unfortunately. What shitheads. I blame every single person that was in that park that didn't say anything for this. I mean, at that point in time, it's a group of teenage boys. They are rowdy as shit. And everybody else is, ki- like, in the area is kind of a, is also a kid. So you have this group of kids who have already established themselves to be these bullies, these jerks, these assholes and they're specifically going after the people who look very different but if you say something they can turn against you see this is why i have been okay with the fact that i've kind of set myself up as a person who's just a straight up asshole Mm -hmm. because i if someone did that shit i i will i would beat the shit out of a motherfucker and that's just that's just me i they're gonna automatically assume that i'm a terrible person anyway I might as well beat the shit out of them. You know, <laughs> you know what I mean? And that's never a good way to approach a situation. But if you go into a situation automatically assuming that I'm going to be an asshole, I'll just be an asshole because I'm not going to convince you otherwise if that's how you've already walked into this conversation. I'll just beat the shit out of you. It's fine. Yeah, and that's fair. But at this point, on She's time, very different to me. They are very different to me. I have very different opinions, though. I'm a very different person. Yeah. They were looking out for their own well-being. And I can never really fault somebody for that. especially give, Especially given what happens to these people. If these people can do this to them, imagine what could have happened to these people had they spoken up. Okay, like but if you have... What, how how many how many boys? It is a group of five, I believe. Okay, if you have five kids, and enough people, this is this genuinely is just that like that like whatever bystander bias whatever it's called, where it's like if no one else says something, then I'm not gonna say something, but or assuming someone else is gonna say something. But here's the thing: if there are twenty people in this park, let's say right over the course of ten minutes. Walking, I'm assuming, through a, a rather large park, it sounds like. Mm-hmm. Any point in time in the city that I grew up in, you walk through a park at night, which you shouldn't be doing, you will pass bare minimum at least 15 people. If all 15 of those people got their head out of their ass, sorry, I centered myself by accident. If all of those 15 people got their head out of their ass and said something, then that's five teenage boys. Versus 15 people, bare minimum two of them are adults out at night because adults are weird. That's five kids against 15 people. This is the early 2000s, right? So I'm assuming someone had a really early version of a cell phone on them, right? Yeah, um, we'll get into that later. Like, some, if I swear to God, like, this is the shit that drives me crazy. I promise you, there is not a single situation in life where you will ever be faulted for saying something when it looks like someone is in trouble or needs help. And if you don't say something, no one else is going to say something. And if everyone assumes that no one else is going to step in and do something, then enough people will do something about it. Like, it really just pisses me off. And that's very fair. Um, 
they don't nobody says anything while the verbal harassment is going on but it also stand, but it's also one of those things where Sophie and Robert had been physically harassed on the streets in broad daylight before and according to my research nobody ever said anything they just had to walk away nobody and ever all of did those anything. people all of those bystanders are cowardly little bitches and respectfully I hope they burn like I, and I'm and here's the thing I know that's really really harsh I know that is extremely harsh but if our kid was out at night and someone with the audacity to call themselves a parent ever witnessed our kid getting harassed out on the streets and didn't do anything about it I will and for legal reasons this is a joke I would genuinely beat that person to death because if I was out at night and I saw someone getting harassed and I have the audacity to call myself a parent and I don't step in to do something, then I am not worthy of being a parent because you're not just a parent to your kid. You're a parent to everyone's kid. You take care of each other. And it drives me crazy that that is not a thing that happens anymore. People don't look out for each other. It really is just such a distant fucking world that we live in and it pisses me the fuck off. Yeah. Um, That's my rant. Sorry. I get really, yeah. really angry. Once it does get physical somebody does call the british equivalent of 911 119 119 it is 119 okay i didn't know that i saw a joke recently on tiktok about a british person who was like oh it's november 9th sorry americans that that thing happened to you and the people were like what are you what are you talking about and they were uh, like, no no oh, no oh thing. no it's no 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 i i think british one is 999 is it 999 oh you got so. it backwards I think 119, it's somewhere. 119 is something somewhere. 119 emergency number. Where is that? Oh, that's in that's in Asia. It's in parts of Asia and Jamaica. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. So. Oh, it's Japan. It's Japan. That's probably why I know it. We need to. Move on. Sorry. Yeah, we need to stop stalling. At one point, um, once they get to the skate park, portion of the actual park one member of the group yells he referring to robert is a mosher hit him and somebody did fully punching robert in the face and it took both robert and sophie by surprise and whether from nervousness or shock robert laughed i i have known people who laugh in really stressful situations because they don't know how else to respond like it's a it's an unnatural response for them they just start laughing Yeah, and unfortunately, this pissed the group of boys off even more. And one of them says, he's laughing. Like, these are quotes. Quote, he's laughing, hit him again. And from there, the beating got worse. At some point, Robert was knocked on the ground, being beaten, kicked, stomped. And all Sophie could do was just stare in horror. Five boys had completely decided to beat this man for no reason. And Sophie's just frozen screaming and crying but unable to do much of anything because clearly they could turn on her as well and that is a very difficult position to be in watching the love of your life being absolutely brutalized by a group of five like teenage boys for no goddamn reason um eventually robert is beaten unconscious and they don't get bored for a good few more minutes after that they are kicking him stomping his head jumping on his neck 
They would continue until eventually they did get bored and wander off. Sophie at this point is completely hysterical and runs to Robert's side, kneeling and cradling his head. She is screaming and sobbing and begging Robert to wake up. Unfortunately, this would alert the group of boys to go back. And they began to beat Sophie, who at this point was still holding on to Robert. They punched her, kicked her, literally stomped on her. And when she collapsed to the ground, that's when they literally started to jump up and down on her head. What kind of... Okay, first of all, did they ever catch these kids? They did. Okay, what are their names? Do you have their names? I have their names. I will get into their names later. Okay, what kind of vile little pig-nosed, shit-eating... Sticky fingered, like how? What? Like what possessed you? Who is your mother? Cause I'm gonna beat the shit out of whoever their mother is. Yeah, it's not great. And mm-hmm. You're gonna get more pissed off. Shocker. Later. Okay. Thankfully, at this point in time, a 15 year old girl was nearby, and she ran to call emergency services. She was sobbing on the phone and saying, "Quote, poor guy. I don't know him, and I'm crying my eyes out. I think he might be dead." While she didn't witness much, she was able to tell the operator to sit in the ambulance and that, quote, this mosher has just been banged because he's a mosher. While the girl's on the phone, you can also hear a young man who, we don't know his name, but he's actively trying to de-escalate the situation in the background. He's talking to the group saying, get the fuck off of him now, please. He's on the floor, man. He's on the floor, man. He's practically fucking dead, end quote. As this call is continuing, the group is still continuously beating, kicking, and jumping on Sophie while the caller is trying to keep the operator informed of what injuries she could see, namely that the couple was still breathing, but there was blood practically pouring from their heads, which is pretty typical of head wounds. Yeah, head wounds breathe, like, even if they're not super serious, head wounds bleed a lot. I don't know why. They just do. The operator tried to walk her through, stopping the blood flow, but the girl stated that there was just too much, and it was coming from Robert and Sophie's eyes, nose, and just everywhere. Oh, so they're, like, hemorrhaging bad, like, brain hemorrhaging. Mm -hmm. While on the phone, Robert starts choking on his own blood, and the teen girl was able to get him into the recovery position to stop him from choking on his own blood. Uh, really quickly for anyone who doesn't know what the recovery position is, highly recommend looking it up. It is a very important thing. I've had to put people in the recovery position before. It's very important to know. When the paramedics arrived, they could very easily identify Robert due to his wallet, but they were unable to identify the girl that was laying next to him. They took the ro- they took Robert and the Jane Doe to the hospital as the police remained in the park to question any potential witnesses. As Did the kids were- just like run off? Yeah. Once the police got there? Yeah. My God. Pussies. As they were interviewing witnesses, one stated that they had seen a group of boys leaving the park bragging about the quote-unquote good they've done. Another witness claimed that they had been told by the group that they were two mosh- that quote, they were two moshers in the park. You want to see them? They're a right mess. End quote. There was also a group of kids who had also witnessed the attacks. This group claimed to have seen the attackers quote, jumping up and down on sophie's head and to the group it felt like watching a group of kids kick a ball around back at the hospital it was very tense Uh, both victims were severely beaten and both had fallen into comas by the time they arrived while robert had been identified by the fact that his wallet had been located on his person in reality without that he wouldn't have been recognized 
the beatings had completely made him both Vic, both Sophie and Robert unrecognizable. The doctors weren't sure that either victim would survive. The chances were very low, and if they did, there would be considerable amounts of brain damage due to the injuries they had obtained. They were rushed back to emergency surgery and placed on life support. While the hospital staff worked to save the couple's lives, the police were dealing with an investigate like dealing with the investigation. At that point in time, it was an incredibly severe assault and potentially double murder given the updates from the hospital. The first unknown in the case was the identity of the girl who had been beaten with Robert. So, since they had been found together, they went to Robert's family, who, since Sophie was his girlfriend, stated that was more than likely Sophie Lancaster. The police went to her family home, and initially there was nobody there. Sophia and her husband were both at work at the time, and from what I understand, Adam didn't live at home anymore. Um, they, pl- the police left a card with a note saying, call us back, it's urgent. So when Sylvie um, comes home and sees this note, she decides to check her phone because she has a personal phone and, and like the phone out her job. She leaves her personal phone at home to avoid distractions. Yeah, that's fair. So she decides to check the personal one first just to see if there's like anything going on that what like a personal issue that might like give her an idea of what's happening. Yeah. Um, she sees several missed calls and texts from her son and Sophie's older brother, Adam. She calls Adam back, who then informs her that Sylvia had been attacked and was in the hospital. Sylvie then dropped everything and went to go stay with Sophie in the hospital. During the first few days of the investigation, the police would interview over 100 witnesses in regards to the attacks. Most of them are young because the park was a hotspot for underage drinking and general mischief. Interviewing these witnesses proved to be difficult, to say, to say the least, as many were not being on- completely honest for numerous reasons. They may have been doing something illegal, or they knew who the attackers were, or they were just maybe just afraid of retaliation from the attackers. Because, I mean, you just watched this group of people beat up two fully grown adults. Imagine what they could do to somebody their own age. Yeah, How old was Sophie at the time? Sophie, I think, was in, like 20. Oh, geez. So young. Yeah, she was just barely an was adult. Sophie. Yeah, but the point was that there are so many different reasons that the dishonesty just, like, for the dishonesty. So the police force came up with a tactic to get the kids more comfortable with talking. They sent in younger officers, the ones that were closer to like their age, to help them feel more like they could be more open instead of sending in like the older guys. And it worked for the most part. From these interviews, police gained vital information. For one, this is a straight-up assault. Sophie and Robert did not instigate the attack, nor did they ever fight back. They also learned the motive. It was just because these two looked different. Witnesses stated that they heard the two being called goth, mosher, emo, freak, and weirdo as they were being beat up. From these interviews as well, the police were able to put together a list of the five boys who participated in this attack. 17-year-old Daniel Mallet, uh, 17-year-old Joseph Holmey, his younger brother, 16-year-old Danny Hume. I think it's Holm. Might be. It's Probably H- Holm. H-U-L-M-E. Probably home. Probably home. I'll use home from now on. No, fuck up their last names. I don't give a shit. Fuck them. A 16-year-old Ryan Herbert and a 15-year-old Brendan Harris. All five boys were arrested for grievous bodily harm, which is the British equivalent to, like, assault. Yeah. 
they were first arrested for this in relation to Robert Maltby. Uh, what a British way to fucking say that. I hate the British. <laughs> I don't. But, like, emotionally. Mm. Yeah. During their interrogations, the boys didn't really take any of this seriously. They were laughing and joking around with the interviewers and with their own parents. Oh, so the interviewers and the parents were taking this as a joke. No, they were trying to joke with the interviewers. Um, Due to the lack of actual information that was being shared during these interviews, the police let them be released on bail for about a week before they were rearrested on the same charge, but for the case of Sophie Lancaster, because they only arrested them in relation to robert at the time they didn't do it together mm, that's really smart. A, yeah um after this go around the eldest three were let out on bail while the younger two ryan herbert and brendan harris remained in custody when doing background checks on the boys the younger two had came up in connection to a similar attack earlier in the year while nowhere near as intense as the attack on robert uh, on robert and sophie it was still completely random and just like the attack on those two were oh and let me guess they didn't fucking get anything for that they were just like this a slap on the wrist probably yeah that so <clears throat> so for the police there is already the history there at least for the two younger boys so they could kind of keep them in for longer versus the two older boys as the investigation progressed the medical staff were astounded to see that robert seemed to be making a very quick recovery he had major internal bleeding which was extremely worrying to the staff but 10 days after the attack robert won't be woke up from his coma as theorized by the staff before robert's brain was impacted by the attack he had no memories of the days leading up to the night of the attack and he couldn't give any information whatsoever Sophie Lancaster, however, wasn't making the same amount of progress as her boyfriend, and she actually wasn't making any progress at all. Her injuries were just so much worse than her boyfriend's, which was astounding, like all things considered. She had to be transferred from the ICU where she had been since the night of the attack to a whole new hospital in Salford because the hospital where she was just wasn't advanced enough to deal with her injuries. I keep finding myself hopeful that she's going to come out of it knowing that she dies. I know. I do too. Once at this new hospital, a complete list of her injuries had been made. Bruises of very clear shoe prints on both sides of her face. Her ears were so damaged by the kicks that they were black and full of pulse, pus, and swollen. Oh my god. So much of her hair had been torn out in the attack that she was actually missing part of her scalp and her neck was completely black due to the bruising in addition to making notes of these injuries the medical staff decided to send Sophie in to conduct scans to try to take note of just how much internal damage she'd been subjected to unfortunately there was no brain activity during one of these scans oh so she was like Come, I mean, she was gone. They were just keeping a body alive. And that's yeah. like a really terrible way of saying it. But I mean, I hate the word brain dead. But that's essentially what she was. Her body was alive, but her brain just wasn't. So she, there was no way for her to recover from any of her injuries, from anything. She was just, it was just a matter of time before she had to be taken off of life support. And on August 24th, 2007... Sophie Lancaster had been taken off of flight support by her family and passed away. 
she was 20 years old. She had been a com- she had been in a coma for 13 days. Robert was completely heartbroken by this news. By this point, his memories hadn't returned, but he had been told what happened. He knew his girlfriend had died essentially protecting him, and now he had to go home to an apartment that was empty and lacking her warmth as he continued to physically recover from the attack. With Sophie Lancaster's death, all five suspects were charged with murder and brought back into, brought back into the station to re-interview the boys about that night. From the beginning of this now murder investigation, the police were focusing mostly on Brendan Harris and Ryan Herbert due to the due to the fact that they have a history of randomly attacking people. So they were focusing heavily on the two youngest. Mm-hmm. Um, this was enough for the police to gain a warrant to search their homes. The search turned up a few things of interest, namely the clothes that the boys had been wearing that night. One of them hadn't washed his clothes since the night of the attack, and blood was still all over the front of the jeans he had been wearing that night. Okay, first of all, ew. Uh, second of all, you dumbass. It had been almost two weeks since the attack. So he had, was just keeping that as a trophy at that point. We don't know. No, I'm telling you. That's an, that, that, <laughs> that, is, that wasn't a question. That wasn't a hypothesis. I'm telling you. Uh, I'm very i'm i don't mean to laugh i'm just if these kids are still alive right now they won't be soon that's a promise you're gonna hate how this ends oh of course i'm gonna fucking hate how this ends because if they're not dead i'm not happy i'm a very violent person sending in the outfits for testing would reveal that the blood was a mix of both sophie and robert's blood so they got the physical evidence shocker Along with along with this information, while in custody, Ryan Herbert was talking with his mother, unaware that the police do in fact record and listen to phone calls. <laughs> I'm sorry. So, well, he's also like 14 or 15 at this point. He okay, had, and he should be, if, if you're going to commit murder, you got to be smart enough to know that police are always listening to you. Big Brother's always watching, my guy. That's fair. During the call, his mother was trying to reassure him, basically saying things like, you told me you had nothing to do with it. And if that's true, they won't find anything and you'll be home soon. Which I like, have words. I have words for this mother. She's a normie, isn't she? Probably. Fuck but that like, bitch. But he also told her that she he had nothing to do with it. Like, and she was okay, like, yeah. And his, if, her, you, if you're telling the truth, like she's fully said, if you're telling me the truth, then you'll be home soon. She knows damn fucking well he is not telling the truth. No mother is that fucking stupid. Sorry, no, I'm very angry right but now. Mothers can be willingly blind. Uh, she's about to be willingly dead. Continue. Oh For legal reasons, all of this is a joke. He actually would admit to his mother that he did have a role in the attack and murder. So now with everybody back in custody and with Sophie dead, all the boys were like a little bit more willing to talk. Oh, interesting. Yeah, because it's like whenever it was an attack, it didn't matter. But now there's a dead person. So that immediately jumps up the charges. Oh, so when you nearly kill someone, it's funny and a joke. But when someone's actually dead, suddenly you think people might actually be serious about this. So if I beat the shit out of these kids... 
but they don't die, then I can joke and fun around with them at the end of the day. But if I accidentally kill one, suddenly I maybe need to double check and make sure that my doors are locked at night. Cool. I'll keep that in mind. Thank you. The three older boys of the group wanted to make it clear that while they did play a role in the attack as a whole, the attack on Sophie was specifically done by the two younger boys, Ryan and Brendan, but Ryan was the true instigator of that attack. Mm. So they, they were like, yes, we beat the fuck. You know? We... Go ahead. They're like, yes, we fully beat Robert, but like, Sophie was not us. That was not us. And it, to be fair, the prior arrest for the mo- random attack was for the two younger boys the two, three older boys had almost a completely clean record they had never really done anything like this before okay yeah some part of me is um one not believing them and two not believing the whole oh i a 17 year old was totally roped into this from a clean criminal record by these little 15 year olds and, and these little kids are the ones that did it yeah um for some weird crazy bonkers reason um i just don't fucking believe that sorry about it the three older boys would admit to their role in the attack on robert but claim to have no role in the attack on sophie even brendan harris was more willing to talk trying to claim less of a role in the attack on sophie like the three older boys okay but you know what's gonna be really fucking interesting is if it was robert that died instead of sophie suddenly they had nothing to do with robert but they were involved with the sophie situation so um yeah I, mm, crazy i just still don't fucking believe him they were all questioned separately so they didn't have time to collaborate on their stories and they were there's actually a very clear timeline that emerges later on i'm sure there is i still don't fucking believe these kids like i'm look this this can be my hindenburg if you want it to be my hindenburg but there is not a single shred of my existence that believes that any single one of them had the fleeting thought of maybe this isn't something i should be involved in oh no they all fully like i'm sure they all fully was like "Mm, maybe we shouldn't but at that point in time it's just kind of like it's late everybody's amped up on adrenaline and it literally like psychologically it literally becomes this mob mentality it's the same thing with the shonda sherrard case they like all of the girls looking back were like oh my god why did i do that but because what they are you were talking there, about um like with certain like the shonda sherrard case where i don't know what it, the case is it was it's a case of a girl who was attacked by like kids her own age for dating one of their uh, for one of the group's exes and then, like, i've they, never heard the story in my life um they like completely brutalized her for like most of the night like taking turns beating her and like spraying things on her and like they ended up trying to they thought she was dead so they tried to burn her body and it turns out she wasn't dead and she died from smoke inhalation is it the girl that was in the that they set fire on the road i don't know that was in the back of the trunk i think so Cause that's a that story no. fucks me up, but that doesn't sound like her. It was the it's, little girl. Oh, it wasn't a little girl. Like she, like it was a little girl. She was in middle school when she died. Uh, I don't remember, but anyway. Um. Uh, but a yeah, lot of it. I just I have no sympathy for these kids. So I, know, I hope they're like, suffering. Psychologically speaking, it is like very much the mom mentality, and it would explain why th- whenever they initially jumped in, they all were all on board. But once they walked away, and then the other like the two youngest went back for sophie that explains why they didn't join back in it was like their adrenaline had already been burned out their mo- like the mentality was like their brains are slowly clearing back up and it's very 
like it happens a lot where the younger where somebody who's the youngest is actually the mastermind like it happens quite frequently like just psycho from like a psychological perspective it mm-hmm. makes sense i'm sure then it makes sense now that i've been given this information um i still don't care <laughs> that's fair but like you said it's okay as long as they just get beaten almost to death but not to death right I, that's so we're good cool thank you i never said that that's but all the justification i need i i didn't say that but okay they said it yeah pretty much um these bitches better not be alive anymore even brennan harris is more willing to talk trying to claim less of a role like the three older boys even though he was still directly involved in the attack on sophie but ryan harris uh not ryan harris um ryan was literally only say no comment during the interviews mm-hmm. like he refused to talk um so the police were forced to be a bit more creative when sending the boys to a juvenile detention center the investigators decided to bug the van in case the boys decided to talk to each other about the attack and these oh. are ho- 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 ho. these are teenage kids so of course they're going to talk look i don't like the police um but that's smart I don't like the police because this has been like a pattern and these boys have are, like already showing patterns of random attacks. I think that had the police done their job better, this wouldn't have happened. But this is arguably kind of smart. I don't Not like the death penalty. penalty. But <laughs> the death penalty penalty was not an option because all of these boys were underage at the time. If you can kill someone like that, um, then you are not a child. You are scum. I'm aware. This plan actually does work out because both Brendan and Ryan are like go into detail with the like talking about the attack. Ryan even stated that he kicked Sophie's head quote like a football, which lined up with several witness statements and the injury reports. What a dumb motherfucker. With the trial coming up quickly, all five boys were facing murder charges with Ryan getting the worst of it due to the fact that he was, at that point in time, known as the main instigator, which was true. And this is one of the 15-year-olds, right? There's three 17-year-olds and a 15-year-old? There's two 17-year-olds, a 16-year-old, uh, let me, hold on. And then two 15-year-olds, like the 17 and 16 were brothers, something like that. I don't know, man. I passed it. Hold on. I don't okay. put space in my head for assholes like this. Um, there are two sixteen or two seventeen year olds, two sixteen year olds, and one fifteen year old. Oh, so okay, cool. So the youngest, um, Ryan, uh, Ryan, the main instigator at this point is sixteen, and Brendan, <sighs> it's fifteen. Ryan's legal team at this point in time was trying to get the charges dropped to the lower manslaughter instead of murder because they believed Ryan wasn't was autistic and that's why he wasn't re- fully responsible for the murder. Oh my. F- Let, the, the prosecution comes through. The prosecution I know. Prosecution comes through. Prosecution looked at it and went, "Okay, fine. We'll play along." And they brought in several autism like experts to evaluate evaluate Ryan. And all of them said that Ryan was as neurotypical as you could get. Of course he's fucking neurotypical. Sorry. So Love you, normies. <laughs> so that um, defense fully got thrown up. But also that is very... Like, it's the same energy back, as I'm autistic, therefore I can't lie. 
I'm autistic, so I can't lie or cheat or do anything bad ever. Like, no. But it's also continuous, continuing the infantilization. Inf- I can't word. Thank you. Of people who are neurodivergent, uh, specifically people who are autistic. And it's a really, it's really annoying. I have met some autistic people who are fully aware of what they're doing and are some of, and I'm not saying it's because they're autistic, but I have met people who happen to have autism who are some of the most intelligent, shitty ass people you'll ever meet in your goddamn life. And it fully is just their bad people. Yeah, like, it's... I've also met autistic people that are super sweet, and I love them very much. It doesn't matter if you have autism or not. If you're an asshole, you're an asshole. It doesn't matter what disease you have or what illness you have or what spectrum you're on or what underwear you buy. If you're a shitty person, you're a shitty person. Yeah. Everybody poops, even the queen. Fair enough. I, I got so jazzed the day I got to tell Psychos that the queen was dead. It was the greatest day of my life. Almost done. Almost done. Kind of. On March 10th, 2008, the very first day of the trial, Ryan actually confessed to everything. <gasps> from starting the attack. So he was um, from starting the attack to murdering Sophie. Which, while fantastic was the family, it was actually a lot more difficult for the justice system. Because he waited until the day the trial started because he had been proclaiming his innocence the entire time so it wasted tax dollars it wasted time it wasted energy just for him to walk into court on the very first day and go oh i actually did it all like it is that's a choice it's an incredibly manipulative and shitty choice in my opinion are we really surprised that he's manipulative and shitty are we really fucking surprised no so because everything had to be completely reevaluated, they um had to figure out what was going on um, in the end, the three elder boys admitted to being responsible for the attack on Robert. Do the witnesses agree that not all five boys were attacking Sophie? I I could not find that information. Okay, then I'm going to assume all of them did it. Guilty until proven innocent. <laughs> That's not how that works. It is to me. Um, so in the end, the three elder boys admitted to being responsible for the attack on Robert, which got the murder charges for them dropped. So they were only facing the um, grievous bodily harm charges for the attack on Robert. Oh, because they weren't responsible for Sophie's death. Yeah. Quote, unquote. And it ended up being, it ended up with this new theorized version. Um, police believe that Brendan was actually the youngest, was actually the one to throw the first punch that night, which led to the other boys joining in to beat Robert unconscious. When Sophie, Sophie didn't get involved, but whenever Sophie started like trying to help Robert after they had left, the two younger boys went back while the three adult, like the three older boys like come back just to watch and kind of like keep people away. Um... I feel like there's a charge for that. So they hung back while Brendan and Ryan attacked and murdered Sophie. Brendan, at this point in time, Brendan, because Brendan was the one to initiate the entire attack, like he was the one to throw the punch, even though it wasn't him who said he's a mosher, hit him. A lot of people theorize that was actually Ryan who said that. Mm-hmm. But because Brendan was the one who got physical first, he got the longer sentence. Mm. 
um, Brenna got sentenced to life um, with a minimum of 18 years. Good. Ryan Herbert was sentenced to life with a minimum of 16 years and three months, which mm. after an appeal was reduced to 15 years and six months. But still life. Six months. But still life. And you're going to get angry with me after this. They better be dead. They're not. Motherfucker. Um, Daniel Mallet was sentenced to four years and four months, while Joseph and Danny Holm were both sentenced to five years and ten months. Okay. They all at least got into jail. Yeah, they all at least got jail time. Uh, okay. I'm so not happy, but okay. We're going to jump to the Sophie Foundation, which is the Stamp Out Prejudice, Hatred, and Intolerance Everywhere Foundation, shortened, mm. shortened to Sophie. And it was founded by Sylvia Lancaster in honor of her daughter's memory. A lot, All of this information I'm going to be reading out, I got directly from the website. Okay. Um, the first event that was hosted was the Make a Noise event on November 26, 2007, a celebration on a celebration of Sophie's life on what had been her 21st birthday, and this would become an annual event instead of just a traditional memorial. And what the Make a Noise event was, was it was a bunch of people coming around, playing music, just being loud and proud about who they are because Sophie would have hated moments of silence. They wanted to do something that felt more what Sophie would have wanted. Yeah, that's sweet. So every year on her birthday, the Make a Noise event continues. Do they still do that even though the mother passed away? I think so. This is, I yeah, I think this is the first year that, no, I lied. She passed in, back in 2022, but I think it still goes on. Okay. But it's something that's like in England for now. Um, and I know they did it digitally or virtually during the pandemic. Oh, at least they kept it going. Yeah. In 2008, Sylvia was approached by Julian Kynaston, who owned the makeup brand Lamasqua. I think that's how you pronounce it. I'm oh, so no, sorry. Man. And from there, the foundation kind of came together. 2009 was actually a very busy year for the foundation. Uh, Sylvia met with a justice minister at the Ministry of Justice to talk about including the alternate, their alternative subculture inclusion into the hate crime definition. Mm -hmm. The foundation was fully registered as like a fundraiser, like charity type thing in that year as well. Yeah. And at the Bloodstock Festival, a heavy metal music festival that's been around since like 2005, renamed their second stage to become the Sophie Lancaster stage. This goes on to become a huge honor to play on, even if it's not the headliner stage. Yeah, you mentioned this because Skins played on that stage before you said. Yeah, Skin played on it at the most recent Bloodstock. Yeah. But like a lot of people who are invited, like I know Delane as a band they wrote a song about sophie specifically and bloodstock invited them to play the main stage and they actually were like can we actually play the sophie lancaster stage because it feels really weird to perform the song that we wrote specifically for sophie on a stage that's like not hers yeah so all they're like they're very active in like the bloodstock community as well mm -hmm. in march of 2013 sylvia uh, Professor John Garland and Dr. Paul Hawkinson published a formal definition of alternative subculture, which would help in the next month, April of 2013, it would help the Greater Manchester Police become the first police force to record incidents against 
alternative people as hate crimes. Like it would help people like slowly like start using this as basis for describing hate crimes. Is that a thing in the U.S. or is it just in Manchester? From what I could find, it's just in the U.K. Like it's just in wow. UK. That should definitely be a thing globally. It should a hundred percent be a thing in the U.S. But I mean, it's the fucking U.S. Um, after years of fighting for her daughter and ensuring that the community had rights that her daughter did not have. Sylvia died after battling an illness on April 12th, 2022. While it was not stated what the illness was, and it was, like, it actually kind of was sudden. She she suddenly got sick. No, she was sick for a while, but, like, she wasn't expected to die, so. Oh, so she was sick, but her death was very sudden. Yes. Got it. Um, which is completely heartbreaking. Robert Maltby, Sylvia's boyfriend. I'm going to give you a small update on him. You okay? I'm okay. Okay. Um, Robert has mostly recovered since that night. He now lives 10 minutes away from the park where he was brutally attacked and where Sophie died. And he currently lives with his parents. For the first 10 years after the attack, he didn't really speak to the press. He was just trying to get a hold on his life. He just wanted to be, quote, Robert Maltley, Maltby, the artist, not Robert Maltby, the victim of a horrific attack with the dead girlfriend. Aww. And that was his words. Yeah, that's fair. To Maltby, the media focus on their appearance in the aftermath of the crime felt like a form of victim blaming. Besides, be- quote, besides being patronizing, the goth thing was also an oversimplification of a much broader issue, he explains. Life hasn't progressed in these poor areas. There is still a dissatisfaction, that stagnation. These areas are still forgotten, and the forgotten people will feel like, well, it can breed nihilism. I have never tried to demonize the attackers, and in many ways, they were victims as well. End quote. He is now currently in a long-distance relationship, and for him, life will never be the same, but he is still attempting to move on. As of this recording, Brendan Harris remains in jail. The three, old, the three older boys were released already, having served their terms. Where are they? They're, I don't know. Continuing off of a uh, last episode, I'm fucking coming for you guys. And I am violent. I'm the baby from that one movie, The Croods. Release the baby! That's me. <laughs> oh, gosh. And Ryan Herbert was released from jail on parole in 2022 and a lot of people think that Sylvia fighting to keep him in jail was what caused her death. They like believe, stress? Like just from the stress of the fact that this one of, one of her daughter's killers was getting out yeah. so early. Yeah. Because he was supposed to be in jail for about 15 years and he was but it was minimum 15 years but you're supposed to be in there for life and now you're out on parole. Yeah. And uh, leading up to his release, um, she fought like hell to get him, like, make him stay in jail to continue serving out this life sentence in jail. Mm-hmm. And that is my case. Okay, so all so have they all been released? As of this recording, as of me doing my research, like, writing these notes, and I stopped, like, I finished these notes a couple of days ago. Brendan Harris, the youngest, and the one that had the longest minimum sentence, is still in jail. Good. The other four are released. It's safer for him that he's in there. 
and I'm out here. <laughs> I you look. <laughs> I'm so angry. I'm angry. I'm very upset. I also I entirely understand Robert's point of view too because Do you need to I take a second. No, I'm okay. Are I'll, you sure? I'll take a second after we're done. Okay. Um, because I pulled specifically from an interview with The Guardian. Like, his quotes were specifically from an interview that he did 10 years after the fact. And this was, like, the first time he'd, like, really spoken out about it. But he... And I feel like he really hits the nail on the head. Like, it's not just, like us being reduced like them being reduced to just being cough and that was the reason why they attacked completely ignores everything else it also goes back to that frustration that i think you had at the beginning where you can't find anything about her outside of her attack and now you have someone where he doesn't want to be a victim he wants to be a person yeah he just wants to be an artist he doesn't like the thing that he quote like he just wants to be Robert Maltby the artist he said that he wanted that on his tombstone and not Robert Maltby the victim of an attack with a dead girlfriend like he straight up said he doesn't want that on his tombstone I does and this is probably information we're never gonna get but I'm wondering how emotionally he's had to move on from not only like suffering the attack but also like losing someone that he clearly loved like a lot like It has to be really difficult for him in general to move past that and then to have the media also kind of push it like I like I I don't ever plan on losing you. But I think if I ever did, I would be I mean, it would be devastating. It would I mean, it would probably take me 10 fucking years to be able to walk outside. But I think it would be difficult to it's already hard emotionally to accept that you have to continue going on as a person outside of losing someone like that. But then also to have the media boil you down to just the person who lost that person. I imagine it's a lot of slowly accepting that you still have to continue on. Like, you have to keep going. Like, you don't, you know. And then also to have to then process with yourself that you exist more than that. And then you have to reassure yourself that that's who you are. And then the media is not letting you have that peace. Like, it, it might sound harsh probably to some people of like, oh, well, why doesn't he want to honor Sophie and why doesn't he want to do this? But like he's still a person who exists outside of mm-hmm. her. And as unfortunate as it is that this is a situation he's in, like we don't know if he's ever going to find a relationship. We don't know if he's ever going to move on romantically from this. He and is he- currently in a long t- distance relationship with somebody in America. Oh, Um, So he has, like, romantically moved on, but he no longer dresses the way he used to. He, like, does more. he's traumatized. Yeah, he's more in sweats and stuff. He actually had to stop school for, like, a good bit. Like, he couldn't go back for, like, a few years. And then he, like, at the time of the interview, which was 2017, he had just finished his degree. It's heartbreaking because he just he just wants to be a person again. And it's so yeah. hard to be a person when like you and, and I'm, pe- I'm speaking from a personal experience here. But it's it's really hard to move on as a person when it feels like you're constantly defined by the worst thing that's ever happened to you. But also it's so hard. Like this is something I struggle with. It's so hard to exist and remind myself that like 
I am more than the things that have happened to me. And I imagine that's really, really, really hard for him to do too. But also like it's 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 a feeling that's really difficult to explain. Yeah, it it's heartbreaking and it like going back to the beginning of the episode where I'm like, why is the most important thing Sophie ever did was like why is her death the most important thing she ever did? Like I've it and it kind of like rubs me such a in a weird way especially when it comes to cases where the victims have been um their death is the cause for so many different like legislator like legislation changes thank you and it's like you're putting so much into these victims death and it slowly starts to like at least i've noticed in the true crime space especially with cases like these where it's like oh, this person had to die in order for these changes to be made. And to which I raise the question, why? Why are we as human, like, why are we as a culture, as a society, at least when cultures that do have these legislation branches, like in um, England and here, why are, why do people have to die before things change? Why isn't it enough to just see something horrific going on and want to stop it why do we cling so much to how things were before but also it's like it's like the lack of and and this is where i really i i really do hate the the justice system a little bit because it's almost like a willingness to want to assume the best in people and i'm saying that in quotes because you're not assuming the best in people you're not wanting to like jump the gun on certain things and i wish we trusted our guts just a little bit more when it comes to like this is very clearly something that is going to turn into something much worse if we don't step in but then like the justice system will probably be like oh well we don't want to step in because we don't want to assume that it's going to escalate to that like innocent till proven guilty but like you just got to accept that some people are terrible and if you don't step in soon enough like the modern justice system does not account for the thousands of years of like human evolution of your gut feeling of your intuition of knowing that sometimes people are just bad people and are there very weird like nuances in this stuff are there very weird circumstances that we can't calculate for yeah. yes but if you have two kids with a cr- history of violence and you have these people who are alternative and you see that this is a thing that happens consistently like the the only thing that you're doing is making it obvious with the fact that you do not care about helping anyone unless they are fitting into a specific type of person that you want them to be and it's it's like it's like you trying to feign ignorance but you're really just making it obvious that you're just a shitty person but it's like the entire justice system and i also sorry second part of this rant that i really find annoying to now that i'm focusing on this is in no way am i trying to take the fact like take away from the fact that like this was a horrible situation of what happened to sophie but the only difference between sophie and robert is that sophie died and he didn't like why is he not like and and again i understand this is a terrible thing that has happened and i'm not trying to take away from what happened to sophie at all but why is it so focused heavy on her when the only difference between the two is that she died and he didn't he got attacked first he got the shit beat out of him they didn't think either of them were gonna live she just died and he didn't and it 
feels like that isn't being taken into account enough. I agree. I fully agree. But I also think it comes down to how Robert and his family reacted. Like they just kind of shut down. Yeah, they they hunkered down around Robert. They fully like they did support Sophie's family where they could, but to them, Robert's recovery was far more important. Which it, it is. It is. It's really is. And Sylvie couldn't hand like especially with her background in social work and working with kids like Sophie, she couldn't handle another potential death of somebody who look who could look and act just like her daughter she couldn't handle like the mental thought of it so she went hard into it she went to the part like she tried so hard to raise awareness for it and I think in doing so and I hate to speak ill of the dead but I think she might have left out Robert's side of things because on the on the timeline on the website it kind of mentions Robert but only briefly it is focusing solely on Sophie and her story so this is this is a weird question and this might piss some people off but you mentioned at the very beginning that like Robert and Sophie were like the same person they're very 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 similar people seeing how Robert responded to what happened do you think Sophie like do if they are similar people it's interesting how Sophie was almost made a martyr and that feels like maybe something that I don't know if she would have been a martyr or wanted to be a martyr. I don't think she did. I um I know she wanted to help people. Like that was like one of the things that she's always that she always wanted to do. That's like something that was consistent across every thing that I found about Sophie's that she wanted to help people. She wanted to support people. I don't think and, she like, would have unfortunately she did help people, just not in the way that I think the world probably would have needed from her. Yeah. But it's unfortunate that someone who it just it's it's weird to me, like you know, she was she was a little bit more reserved, you know, she kept her head down, she didn't want to get involved in all this stuff and now she's a martyr. Like it's it's I'm not trying to speak on Sophie's behalf and say like that's the this that or the other thing, but I think that if Robert had died, I don't I think Sophie wouldn't have hunkered down. I think she probably would have reached into what she had learned from her mother to make sure nobody forgot about Robert. And I think had they both survived, I think she probably would have gone into the community outreach side of things. But I don't know that they would have gotten as much of attention if one of them didn't die. And that is the sick part of this whole thing. This is why I hate, in a lot of cases, I this is why I hate true crime and sometimes, like sometimes. Nobody cares unless somebody dies. And that is... That's just media in general, though. And I'm not saying it's good, but, like, that really is, like... I mean, like, you're right. Like, and it does suck. Like, why... You know, I agree with you. Why does it take someone dying for us to try to step in and stop something from happening? And even when people die, like, no one seems to care unless it's, like, for the morally socially acceptable reason to care you know yeah like I think that's my personal opinion I don't think Sophie should be as martyred as she is it feels feels disingenuous it does I fully agree that Sophie did not deserve this and that Sophie does deserve to be remembered but I don't want 
but I don't think she should be remembered for the fact that she happened to be alternative, an alternative person who was murdered. I feel like, sh- if anything, she should be remembered for her, like, the time she spent with her friends, the, commu- like, how she flourished in the community, how this community can, can genuinely help people. I feel like she should be remembered for those aspects of her life instead of she was murdered because she was goth. Yeah, her her death was a very, very minute, small section of the years that she had spent living. And there's so many good things that happened in those years that we will never mm-hmm. know. And it's really... It's, it is genuinely devastating when you find someone who the, and, and again, this is going to be a really blunt thing that people aren't going to like, but when the greatest thing that they ever did for this world was die, you know, like, and I'm not saying good that they died, but I'm saying like, why are we only caring when people are dead? Like, why can't we acknowledge bad things can happen without it having to escalate to that point and still give a shit you know like I would love to know what her favorite color was I would love to know what her favorite book was did she prefer her water with ice or no ice like these are important parts about her personality that make her more than just the alternative girl who got beat to death in a park you know like it boils her down and like yes like the name is important but it's not just say her name a reminder of what happened to her it's like like who was she though like, can you actually tell me who she was outside of what was done to her? Like, you know, I, and and I just, I can only speak for myself, but I am a lot more than the abuse that I had faced at the hands of, you know, people in my life. I'm so much more than that. And if people were to boil me down to just that, I would be livid because of all of the good that I've managed to do and all of the person that I am. You know, and I imagine for anyone else, you know, living or deceased, that would really upset them that they lived so much life. But the only thing people ever want to care about is the very last thing they ever did on this planet. And that is just so, in my opinion, disgusting. And no one documents their life under the assumption that they're going to die one day and everyone needs to know everything about them. But yeah, I think there's a different type of sensitivity that people should take it with when it's like how 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 you talk about people shouldn't be their their death you know what I mean it's really yeah really hard way to explain no I completely understand but that's why whenever I full transparency I almost wanted to switch to a different case because I could not find any information about like hardly any information about Sophie before she died and I felt genuinely violently uncomfortable presenting this case with the most information I'm presenting being about how she died like the injury she had and then oh this is the trial like it felt disgusting to me and I still feel a little bit gross about it but yeah Psychos is not lying by the way they genuinely came to me like not even last week and was like I don't have the time to change to a different story, but I do not want to do this story. And it's because, and, you know, we, we researched these things for a few weeks before we, we put them. But for the last few weeks, like, consistently, Psychos has just been telling me, like, I can't find anything on her. I don't know anything about her. Like, 
like genuinely getting like frustrated to the point of like wanting to cry over how annoyed you were that you couldn't find anything out about her. And again, if the family has decided that that is what they want to do, then that's a different story. Yeah, like if that is the family's choice, then great. I respect that. But if it's not by the family's choice, if that is just how... If it's because if the information I can is out there and I just cannot find it because it has been drowned out by Sophie's last couple weeks on Earth, I am extremely angry about that because that is not fair to anybody. Especially is- someone who you've described as having such a bright personality and such an impactful personality. Like, I'm surprised that there aren't, like... Her friends and her, I don't know if she had siblings. Her siblings, yeah, she has siblings. She her had siblings and her cousins and people in her family and her life that knew her, like, saying something and giving her more personality than just the goth girl, the quote-unquote goth girl that was beaten in a park. Like, if that information is out there and it was not per the family's request, because, again, you couldn't even find if the family had requested this stuff not be out on the internet. Yeah, it- it was so hard to find anything and i honestly do agree with robert's mentality that reducing this case down to two young adults who were being just because they were goth it's incredibly insulting it's it takes everything away from who sophie was as a person we can acknowledge that her death did provide the momentum to get violence against alternative cultures labeled as a hate crime however it is still a disservice to Sophie herself. It's also to a disservice boil her down to, to this. Yeah, it's also a disservice to Robert. But also, labeling this as the Goths who got beat up in a park in a weird way almost validates the mentality of the people who did this. Yeah, he Robert specifically called it victim blaming, and yeah, it, I yay, fully agree yeah. with that sentiment. It, it fully, it fully is victim blaming, and I fully it like if they weren't Goths, they wouldn't have gotten beat up in a park like yeah it, it is yeah I, that's a great way for him and to, like, to put that le- and like if i look up like if i look up sophie lancaster's name on youtube hardly anything comes up but if i look up golf girl who was murdered so much pops up it is mm-hmm. genuinely disturbing how uh, this is me how just like boiled to- down it is yeah and this is so true of so many other cases what was this I'm- guy's name uh robert Maltby. Uh, Robert is spelled normally, <laughs> and then M A L T B Y, and like anything you find on him is gonna just circle back to the attacks, and I feel so awful about it. He does not look how I expected him to look. No, he's changed a lot. Like, it, but even before the attacks, if you look at pictures of them before the attacks, they don't look particularly goth. Like they don't. Like, she they, is a hundred percent punk. Like, like she does have she's got the dreads she's got the neon colors she's got the piercing she's got gauges um she yeah, is, like she is she is beautiful but she does look more um like proto goth punk ish yeah they both look alternative but also simply labeling them as like the catch all phrase goth is also really kind of insulting to the subcultures themselves because it shows that you don't really care enough about these people to look into the actual subcultures that they could have actually been part of and how they could have impacted their personalities and can i just jump in here really fast i found a photo of the the kids and they look exactly how i imagine shithead british guys who would beat up someone look like they look exactly like 
picture the most douchey British guy that you can ever think of, and it, you're exactly right. Yeah, like, it is incredibly... I know I'm being a hypocrite because I also produce true crime, but most true crime content is narrowed down to, especially for the victims, narrowed down to how they died and what impact their death had. And that is not why, and that is not what I want to contribute to the community. I'm tired of seeing the same rehashings of a case with nothing new being added with nothing of substance being added and it's just like oh this is a tragedy oh this is heartbreaking yes those things can be true but all you're doing is focusing more on how so i'm gonna read this section because i found that article you were talking about i'm gonna read this section because i think it sums it up pretty well because he does have a really good way of saying this So it says, by the time of the funeral, which TV news crew also attended, Malfi's brain had begun to repair and he found it even harder. My initial memory was seeing the coffin and thinking that's too small. He says, her entire life shouldn't have fitted into a small box. That's when I began to crumble. And I'll be honest, I was resentful of the fact so many people were there. They had the best intentions, but I was thinking, did you ever eat a meal with her? Did you know how she took her coffee? You just saw this archetype on the news. You didn't know her. And that is exactly, like, I have never, like, this is the fourth episode, and I think this is the case where I'm really starting to dig into why I started, why I agreed to start this podcast. I wanted to give victims and victims' family a voice where it, they weren't reduced to how they died. And with, because unfortunately I did do serial killers my first few cases, and it's really hard to dig in there. But going forward, serial killers and stuff like that will be very few and far in between because I do want to focus more on the victims. I want to know, I want to learn who they were and learning who they were would, I feel like it gives more meaning than just, oh, it's that goth chick who died and now uh, alternative subcultures are protected by law. And that's so gross and disgusting. I want to, like, I would love to learn how Sophie took her co- coffee. I would love to know what series was her favorite. If she ever, de- if she ever debated writing her own book or writing her own poetry. Mm-hmm. I would love to read some of that if she ever did. I would love to get to know her as a person. And I would have loved to present that to everybody so they just don't see this girl who died because they didn't even care to get what she was correct she was killed because she was different but even that is victim blamey so three years after the um attack he did release um paintings that he had done to raise money for the sophie foundation but i can't find anything about any art that he does now which really sucks because I'd love to know. I know, and that's what pisses me off. I'd love to know what art he does. I'd love to know. I do too. Who he is. I just. Ooh. This is why. Uh, I, I think I found his uh. Instagram, unless he took it down. Oh, no, no, no. Here it is. I found his Instagram. Oh, he's a really good artist. If this is him, it's very good. Yeah, Actually, I, just, I really like his art. It's that, like, horror. Yeah, like. Art. It's really good. His art was always described as kind of being like that horror, darker art, but because he was in the alternative subcultures, it's kind of hard for the course. But if this is him, but I mean, it's his name and it says he lives in London. So, London based Manchester School of Art. I just. I'm trying to figure out how to put my words together because I am still very upset, but death and dying are not the most important things you can do in your life. I think I just want to 
end my piece by just saying you are more than the worst thing that ever happened to you. You are more than the worst thing that's ever been said about you. You are more than the worst thing that has ever been done to you. He has a coloring book. I found it. I found a whole PDF of his stuff. It's in his link tree. That's really cool. Sorry. I am angry and I feel like I have some right to be angry but also no right to be angry because again I didn't know her. I I very rarely know anybody that I'm doing cases about and I think that because I couldn't learn anything about her because she was reduced to this one thing, the worst thing that ever happened to her, that specifically is what made me so angry. Mm-hmm. Like I should be able to look up her name and find other information that's about who she was and not a foundation that started because she died or because she's Sorry. Speaking of wanting to know more, uh, if you go to Robert Maltby's Instagram, which I'm ass- again, I'm assuming this is his guy. Um, but if you go to his Instagram and you go to his link tree at the very bottom, it says book portfolio takes you to a Google Drive and it's literally just a bunch of his artwork in PDF form. It is super cool looking. He's got an Etsy page. Mm-hmm. It's just, he's got a coloring book. It just looks really cool. Yeah, we'll link his Instagram stuff below so that way everybody can go see. Is this a tarot deck? He made his own tarot deck. It's called Arcane. It's really cool looking. There's a card called the Eye. There's not much more. I have like I don't know if I can say anything else. Like I am I know. I think I think that's enough for today. Um, because we are already at four hours and seven oh, minutes. Oh, this is a lot of editing for Yeah. So sorry ahead of time guys uh for this one but uh i i mean i enjoyed my part of this story thoroughly i enjoyed your part too this is why i don't want to end it on a sad note but i had to go first yeah for like historical <laughs> for context reasons yeah for context reasons sorry guys i think we are done here um everyone go drink water and rest and have a have a snack and go listen to some good music and watch film cooper and (laughs) (laughs) we will see you back in two weeks um which by the way whenever we release really long episodes like this feel free to cut it in the middle um and you can have an episode a week and then we'll be back in two weeks so that'll be when does this go out this goes out the 24th so we'll be back the 8th with uh, a two-parter that ends right before christmas and both parts of the both parts of the two-parter are very dark do you do you want to give like a little uh like a hint or like a like a riddle to what yours is because here's the i have like i know the name of psychos's case but i couldn't tell you jack diddly shit about what it's about i'll give hints on um instagram because i've started dropping like hints as to what yes which um, episode is like a few days before it drops psychos is the one who runs all of our social media so the social media is um slacking a little bit i don't have access to any of the social media because i'm not a huge social media fan i prefer not not either um i'm just more i know i'm a bit more active than you are which is why i agreed to take on that but i'm also not not super social media if at all possible this this is the limits of what i am comfortable with right now yeah that's fair 
Um, you want to go ahead and say goodbye? Goodbye, everybody. Have a good night. Good night, guys. Stay safe and keep learning. Fuck Oppenheimer. <laughs>